Hello all, and welcome in to episode 80 of Through the Lens. I'm here with Alex, of course, and it's just me and Alex here in the booth for y'all. This is the final episode of Through the Lens as we know it currently, working for Weagle 91.1 FM, so we're going to go out special. I'm not going to have a crazy intro for y'all. I'm not going to have a ton of quotes in it. I'm just going to keep it simple for y'all. It's the final episode. I want to thank you all for listening to the 79 preceding episodes, and today we're going to be talking about our favorite movies, I think, was the idea. I've chosen Children of Men, which is my definitive favorite movie of all time. And Alex has chosen Kingdom of Heaven. I'll let him speak to that on his own. Alex? Right, Davis. So I chose Kingdom of Heaven specifically, and I, I think it kind of fits with Children of Men, because Children of Men is your favorite movie of all time, but it very well could also be listed as your most underrated movie of all time due to the fact that it doesn't feel like anybody really knows about it. And I feel the same way for the Kingdom of Heaven director's cut. And we'll certainly get into why that is the case, why we're talking about a Ridley Scott movie with one of the greatest cast ever put together, and nobody knows about it. If you if you ask if you ask random walker on the street, they're gonna be like, oh, Ridley Scott did Gladiator, then he didn't do anything until The Martian. There's this one movie in the middle that happens to break that up and really change things. Yeah, Hannibal. Yeah, yes, that, of course that too. Um, no, but it's really, really great to be here for the last episode, Davis. Kevin, it very simple, very short. The recording thing was like glitching a bit, but I think it's definitely recording. Yeah, so. I, was, I was gonna say something, but you know, I, I kept it rolling. Ah, uh, very nice. Davis. I was gonna be like, "Do you want to restart?" And but I didn't. Uh, very smooth, Davis. Smooth as always. This is the 80th episode of Through the Lens, and we're gonna be talking about so much today. As Davis said, "Kingdom of Heaven" and "Children of Men" both released within a year of each other, which is which is just a, ha- a happenstance at this point, which is pretty cool. And our trivia from last week. Also, there are no guests um, because felt very fitting to have our finale be just the two of us and no guest muddy our um Alex tried to invite everybody that would that was walking by. You're so funny. Yeah, that's true. I actually I almost asked Noah to come in here, but he's like, Kingdom of what? And I was like, all right, I guess I guess I can't really be doing that. Um our trivia from last week, what are the names of the demons in Hellraiser, Davis? They're like the Cenobites. That's correct. I said it last time. No, you said they're the the bites. I was like, um <laughs> The Cenobites. Yeah, because you guys were like, oh, it's bites. And I was like, great job. It is the bites. Well, yeah, because then I said but yes. Then, but then they all have different names. Ex- oh, no, exactly. So in in on the card, because you said, oh, they're the bites or whatever. And I was like, yes. And Brain's like, you can't give away the answer. And I was like, I'm giving that away because the three options on the card all were something bites, something bites, something bites. Also, um, Pinhead's not actually his name. Really? It's not his I don't name. Know it's, just, it's just like a colloquial little like, oh, it's Pinhead. Because he has know. pins in his head, you know. I don't know anything about Hellraiser. It's very um, creepy. Graphic. Yes. It has. Uh, it's very salacious. Ooh, good word. Yeah. Bringing the heat today. Do you know what the Cenobites are? No. They're like demons that's in this like the box or whatever. And if you release them, they're like pleasure demons, quote unquote. Like it's all about sex and stuff. Whoa! Yeah, crazy. It's, cra- it's like I watched a video about like what happens in Hellraiser, and it's cra- That's it crazy. is insane. Sounds like a crazy movie. I so it's pretty good. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've heard the good things about the first one. Of course, it's supposed it, to be like in unreal, insane. It like every other horror franchise has probably been. Other than Evil Dead, though, still going strong and keeping things relatively, you know, concrete and simplified, which I always appreciate that for or them for doing that. The other question I couldn't remember what it was, but I think it was who is the star. Um, in something about Mary, it was Ben Stiller. I think that was the question I asked. I honestly I don't, don't remember, remember, but this is in truth through the lens form. Who really cares? Um, anyway, so the trivia for this week, it's going to be pretty light, just a couple trailers. We're going to talk about Gran Turismo. We're going to talk about Doom. We're going to talk about a certain writer's strike and workers' rights because it feels like a very fitting um, end to all Are of this. we crossing this. the picket line by having this episode? No. <laughs> I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no for now on that. We're also going to talk about some Mortal Kombat news, some other casting news, and an exciting announcement about Succession. I know Davis will be really excited. He's an avid viewer of one season of the show. No. 
I'm on the third season right now. Oh, now you finally. I want you to know that I'm on the third season. Okay, I'll take your word for it on that well, one. Well, I'm not lying. Mm. I, I can do an impression of some of the characters if you want. Go ahead. Have you seen it? No. <laughs> so you won't get it, but I'll do it anyway. So Kendall, Kendall Roy, played by Jeremy Strong, of course. Right, uh, he's like the star of the show. He's the best character, I think. Yeah. Most interesting. But he's going like, yeah, the uh, the the optics here, they're not, uh, yeah. We're, we're, we're working through the optics. They're not effing great, but... uh. I think we can really work out a, a deal, to, but you know, with the the optics. And then Rome would be like, oh, I can't say any of the words because he curses a lot. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just suck up. Beep, 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 beep. There you go, Davis. Very and then, nice. And then Shiv would be like, I don't know. And then the dad is like, I. He's so funny. F. <laughs> F off. Oh uh, yeah, that sounds like that's not that sounds pretty right. Um, and Tom would be like a ludicrously capacious bag. <laughs> I gotta watch this show. No, it's amazing. Yeah, I gotta give this show legitimately shot. one of the best shows I've ever watched in my life. And also, you know, Jeremy Strong, his kind of big break came when he when that we had that role in the Big Short, which I don't I, feel like that was his big break. I mean, I feel like that was that was when he came a bit more mainstream, and this course show has made he's, it more mainstream. He's really good, but I, I know heard he's, he's kind of like a jerk in real life, which uh, I hate to hear. Well, you hate to hear, but it is Hollywood, isn't it? Yeah, and also Nicholas Braun from the show apparently has some allegations against him right now. Oh, unfortunately, that's not good. So yeah, so it was okay. So he was in, oh he was in the Judge pr- uh, for a time. Then he was in the Big Short. Then he was in the Gentleman and Trial of the Chicago Seven. Yeah, he plays uh he played uh not Abby Hoffman but is the guy uh Jer- Jerry Rubin. I'm just saying based on based which on is the track cra- it does not even look like him because he has so much hair in it. I would say I would say the Big Short's a pretty big role. He's in He's Lincoln and at- Zero Dark Thirty as well. He also played Lee Harvey Oswald in a movie called Parkland. What? He plays John Nicolay in Jeremy in uh, Lincoln. I don't. I don't remember who that is. I don't either. He's I'm in Zero sure. Dark Thirty. I'm pretty sure he was barely in. Which Lincoln. I've never seen. I've it. seen Lincoln, like twice. It's a good movie though. Daniel Day Lewis, man, he's him. Yeah. Somebody asked me a few days ago, like, "Have you seen There Will Be Blood?" And I was like, "Have I? I have. I've abandoned my. You haven't seen There Will Be Blood. I, I'm gonna get to it. I've abandoned my child. Davis, I drink your milkshake. I've abandoned my boy. I drink it all up. It's got Paul Dano. You'll love I it. I know it. Dude, I know about the movie. Like, I've seen all the big scenes. Like, they're yelling. I'm on TikTok all the time. It's like, best acting scenes ever. It's just like white Daniel guys Day-Lewis. yelling. Hey, I'm okay. abandoning my child. Okay, but Daniel Day-Lewis is him. We do know this. I mean, it's just, the joke is, is that every time I see one of these acting compilations, it's just white guys yelling. That's true. It's unfortunate. But then, like, Clive Owen and Children of Men. We'll get to that one. When he oh leans against the tree and cries. Oh, d- I was watching it with Sutton, and he even looks at me. He said, write that down. That's all I'm going to say. my favorite movie, man. I mean, it's incredible. So let's get into that news real quick so we can definitely get to these movies that Which I'm we first? very excited about. We're going to talk about the writer's strike. That feels like a very fitting I mean, beginning. What, oh. what are we, Kingdom of Heaven, because it okay. came out first. Yes. I figured just going in, in the sequential order feels nice. Plus, it's fresher on the mind. Yeah. So that feels better. The board of directors at the Writers Guild of America have voted unanimously to call a strike, which has gone into effect or went into effect at 12.01 a.m. on Tuesday, May 2nd. Mm-hmm. So this, of course, is for a lot of reasons. They said that initially they went at the negotiating table looking for a deal, and then studios said some things that did not really sit well with them. I can't go into full details on that, but this is a very pivotal point in our in our life and in society for writers of film and TV. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to break this news on the airwaves. I think I told Davis about this, but I'll say it here. I'm, you know, I still job searching, obviously. Unfortunately, in the um, post-graduation destination form that I had to fill out, I said, nowhere. Anyway, um, not, not important. But I got a job posting for an, teaching an AI how to write like a sports journalist. Mm-mm. 
crazy. Yeah, I know I'm not going to do it. Don't do that. I know that's that. part of the writer strike. No, that's what I'm saying. This is a very pivotal point where that's so, things are catching up. Is all I'm trying to say here. It's really crazy, and that's what they're worried about because that's when when AI is able to write cohesively, that will probably be the first it, shoe to drop. It won't. The I mean, thing is, like, it can write sentences that make sense, but it's it's not the same. No, I mean, I agree with that, Davis. But you miss you. No, I, I understand that they're going to do it anyway. Yeah, but there's it's never going to replace humans. I like, know. AI art has no heart behind it. I agree. AI, AI, like AI, like movies. Have you seen those? It's like, oh, Wes, AI did Star Wars in Wes Anderson style. Have you seen those? Oh, uh, yes, I have. First of all. Bad. It's bad. bad. It's bad because yeah. it doesn't have any of the heart, any of the nuance. It's just like, oh, it's colorful, symmetrical, and then they look at the screen and it says their name on the screen. Oh, yeah, it's just like Wes Anderson and all the blue checks on Twitter eat it up. They're like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Elon, uh, get on this. <laughs> but it's AI has no heart because it is quite literally has no soul. It's, it is – all AI is – all ChatGPT does is just predicts the next, next word. Hmm. Interesting. It, so it's like it goes word by. That's why if you if you like ask ChatGPT something, you'll watch it go word by word because it's it it says a thing that's trying to predict what the next best word would be. Okay. To get your answer. Interesting. Very interesting. So well, I'm, I'm it, just it, it can that... write cohesively and like too perfect, but it's it's never going to be the same. I, but agree, I, know, I, I agree know with that, that they're sentiment. Gonna, they're gonna they're gonna do movie AI scripts anyway. The Russo brothers want to do it because they hate cinema. <laughs> I saw, like I, uh, I saw did, it on did Twitter. Did they really say that? I no, gotta look yes, at this. they were like, "We want to start making AI movies." Like how they they made the biggest blockbuster of all time. Is this? It's not. Is it still number one? Endgame. Um. Yeah. Endgame. Endgame is still number one by. Yeah. So a they wide made. They made the well, biggest, I think Avatar got a re-release and jumped past it. But either way, they, they, they still, still made the biggest, uh, first run through blockbuster of all time, and they just hate cinema. Like they just, I swear to God, they just hate movies because <laughs> they don't make good movies. And then they're like, "Oh, and then we're gonna do this." That's just completely antithetical to loving cinema. So yeah, Avatar did get a re-release and jump past it again, but Endgame still made two point seven billion dollars, and then Infinity War made two billion dollars. So it's, I mean, it Ugh, it it, it, it is very disappointing. Them. So yeah, I found the clip. It's from the AV Club. Director expects a fully AI movie within two years. Oh my um, god! Let's see the Russo brothers. Are creating contact with an eye toward or content with an eye towards the future. Russo, who says he's on board on the board of a few AI companies, uh, has a lot of uh, ideas for what AI movies would look like. One version is a constantly evolving story, either in a game or in a movie or a TV show, no, not unlike the no. AI Seinfeld parody "Nothing Forever," no, which was bad. It, or it could be your own self-insert. Um, you want to know something? Have platform. You, we talk, Have we talked about the AI Seinfeld before? Um, yes. Could I finish this quote real quick though? Just so I want to see exactly Fine. what it says. You'd be like, hey, I want a movie starring my photo real avatar, Marilyn Monroe's photo real avatar. I want it to be rom com because I've had a rough day, and it renders a very competent story with dialogue that mimics your voice, which amuses. It mimics your voice, and suddenly now you have a rom com starring you that's 90 minutes long, so you can curate your story specifically to you. Um, oh, well, yeah, this is. Um, wow. I have a joke, but I'm not going to make it. May, yeah. It would, um, it would sound like a threat, but it's, it would be just a joke. But I'm not going to make it. Russo also said, "Quote: The future is coming, whether we want it or not. Um, the value of it is well, that the, is. Oh no, 
<gasps> the value of it is the democratization of storytelling. That's incredibly value. That means that anyone in this room could tell a story or make a game at scale with the help of a photoreal engine or engine and AI tools. That, I think, is what excites me about it. <laughs> oh, my God. That is quite literally the worst line of logic I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, fascism's on the rise, so might as well jump on the boat now. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Oh, Just because no. something is like imminently coming in the future doesn't mean it's good. Oh no! What the hell are you talking? Oh I, no! I cannot stand the Russo brothers because they've made one good movie off the back of the rest of the IP. The movie itself, Infinity War is pretty good. I, I mean, like it's it. good, but like, yeah. is it because of them? Probably not. No, probably not. I, I can tell you it's not because look at all their other movies. Are any of them good? They haven't been. No. What other movie? He has. They have Cherry, Endgame. I think they Gray had, man. They had um. Let me let me look up the Russo brothers as a as a production team and see what they got. Um, they need to take they need to take uh some notes from some better sibling duos. Cohen brothers, the, the Cohen brothers, the Wachowski sisters, the Cohen brothers. Man, I just wrote a paper on No Country for Old Men. I was like, man, this oh, might that, so that movie is. They so... would make AI movies because they actually like cinema. <laughs> they actually <laughs> raising Arizona. Don't even get me started, man. Good one. Uh, He's got to have his dip tail. What if he gets hit by a bus? Fargo? Y- yes. Okay, okay. Fargo, 1996. I can, get one more. I can get one more. Big or Davis. Le- Big Lebowski? Yes. Okay. There I'm you go. Like, I just like. Also, I think they did Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, they did. It's just like they've made so many good movies. I'm like, did they make that? Because they're all so different they're from each so- other. Yes. Yes. The, the one maybe cohesive factor between the Coen Brothers production is maybe their like, style. No, I'd say the, dialogue the, style is there, but like in terms of actual scope of each story, wildly different. Oh, Hail Caesar, yeah, which was not, which was apparently not very good. Yes, it is. I yes, heard it wasn't good. I, 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 Alex, I said apparently it wasn't good. Here, I, how about this? I have a I have an opinion that it is good. It's pretty okay. funny. As, I, is, I, is George Clooney? Getting, I just remember being very excited about it, and then the critic reviews were really bad. You should so watch like, it. I know. I know. I, want, I wanted to. How about that? I, you should watch Davis. The opinion. Davis. Hey, I, can I tell you about I, it real quick? Yes. George Clooney uh, gets kidnapped and converted to communism. It's very. Okay, it's that's really funny. funny. And I mean, yeah, a, I think I would like it. And then burn after reading. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen one. that one. I haven't. Do you seen have any opinions about it? I know of it, and I've I've read a lot of good things. Also, has George Clooney. It's not impossible to read good things about movies. I'm just Hey, it's like a spy movie. Like kind of, but it's like, like a comedy of error spy movie. It's really funny. Isn't that the one with Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt, Ferris where John Malkovich punched John him. Malkovich. Okay, I've seen that scene that, like a hundred th- times. There's a scene in it where I'm not gonna spoil it, but like my mouth was agape. Something like so out of left field happened. I was like, oh my god! All right, awesome. Guess I'm gonna have to add that to my list. And it's, I do love the Coen Brothers. It's like man. a short one too. It's really They're good. awesome. It, that one's really similar to Hail Caesar, kind of. Okay, interesting. It's interesting. not like like the style, like kind of funny, quirky comedy of errors characters in a room. Sounds about right. Characters very, getting up to shenanigans. Very, very. Th- that's what their movies are. Characters getting up shenanigans. Raising Arizona is literally like they they don't need five babies. <laughs> Give us one of them babies. Holly Hunter's in that. I yeah I know. Ho- she- well, I was gonna say that Holly Hunter's also in Succession. Yeah, there you go. Church bringing it all the way back, didn't you? Yeah. Um. So yeah, this writer strike. Here. They're not. They're, uh, they're not. <laughs> um. Very big deal with the writer strike. Um, again, Davis, I think we agree on the idea that AI is not going to be able to take that step. But the point is, no, it could the take studio, that step, but it should, they, we shouldn't allow it. The to. studio also believes that it will and is clearly having some kind of threat to the writers because of that. Ugh. Because I think they want a bit more security. So that's something that definitely um, we'll all have to continue to monitor because it will start affecting TV shows soon. That that's definitely gonna happen like it did in two thousand and seven. Speaking of succession, Davis, um, why don't we go to that news real quick as well? 
Variety has reported that the series finale will be 90 minutes oh, long. Oh, hell yeah. Did you say in that word? I it was such liberty. It. All right, whatever. Grow up. Um, yeah, okay. I, mean, I guess I might. Um, that's really exciting. Oh, really yeah. Really cool. You should watch it. I, I know. It's on my list. I got a summer to watch. No, I'm you not should start watching it right now. Okay. Hey, go, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Show's canceled. Alex Guys, we're done. It. We're done. We're watching Succession. Um, Have I also, told you that the best TV episode of TV I've ever watched in my life yes, is Succession? Yes, because you it was you when we did the what are you watching? You talk because I don't know what episode you're talking about because I've I've everybody on Twitter. But was the like, thing oh is, like, there's three separate episodes where I'm like, Ooh. that's one of the best things. Well, you still haven't life. seen Breaking Bad, so I watch. I'll, I'll try to watch it. I'm soon. just saying, Ozymandias is the greatest episode of television that's ever been put. Because it's by it's by Ryan Johnson and he's him. So I mean, that's, I mean, but from what I've seen, I've seen a lot of good episodes of TV. The I don't remember the name of the episode, but episode two or three of season four, Succession's best episode I've ever seen. My life. I was gonna say one of the one of the latter episodes of True Detective season one. Ah, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, maybe. Uh, one of the episodes from season two of Succession where Kendall cries in Shiv's arms was one of the best I've ever seen in my life. Interesting. Very interesting. I'm, I'm excited to watch. It. I know. I know. I'm gonna like it. It's like it's. It's very much phenomenal. my kind of show. It, first of all, it's hilarious. I've just been so bogged down with it's, stuff. It's hilarious. It's amazingly well written. The shot. It's shot amazing. It's based on Rupert Murdoch and Fox News and his kids. If you didn't know, I had heard that. I had heard that somewhere. It's, I don't remember where. They won't admit it, but it's so clearly. Yeah. AT and his Fox. There's a guy named Gil. Whatever. He's a he's a politician. That's obviously Bernie Sanders. He's like curly hair and he's like for the people. Okay, that's pretty. Um, cool. And then there's they they try a. Uh, ATN tried to buy Pierce, which I'm pretty sure is just supposed to be CNN. It's yeah, so it's Rupert Murdoch and his real life three kids, Definitely two sons Pierce, and one it, daughter. If it's called Pierce, it might be after formerly a CNN person, Piers Morgan. I'm just connective tissue no. here, guys. I'm just saying, uh, if, there, if there's any Easter egg there, connective tissue. You should watch the. Show. I don't like Piers Morgan. He's annoying, but still connective tissue. I know I'm like I know I'd like it. Piers Morgan's BBC. But no, but he he used to be a big oh, like he used he? to have a show on CNN, but then he got kicked off because oh no, he's, he's stupid. Annoying, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, he's a Tory. Isn't yeah. He? Uh, maybe I don't really know British politics. Oh, I mean, we have to be careful talking about him. He'll hear this and shoot us down. <laughs> and plus, we got we got British politics coming up a little later in the show, don't we? That's um, true. Also, Davis, it's just really I've been so bogged down with stuff. I'm going to tell you this, and you're going to try and not leap across the table to shoot me. I still haven't watched the finale of The Last of Us. What? I just got to episode eight and just haven't had like I just haven't. Now, but you've probably watched the game ending, so you know how it ends. Okay, I'm going to move on now. Yeah. Let's talk about something that we can both equally get excited about, Davis. The first trailer for Doom Part 2. Oh my god, this trailer was amazing. Davis. Yeah. Sorry, I was I was, I was was looking up Piers Morgan to see if he had any opinions on Children of Men so I could bring him up later. But it didn't <laughs> seem... Because I feel like he would be like, this movie's terrible. Exactly. It goes against the fundamental... It's a little on the note. <laughs> no, but Dune Part Two. I mean, a great trailer. Wow, one of the best trailers I've seen, probably. Definitely in t- in terms of answering the oh, the first movie was so boring and slow. They're like, guess what? Mm, nope. And it's such a great cast. I forgot Javier Bardem was in this movie, and then he showed up. I'm like, oh my god! I got so hyped when he pulled up and was like, Luella Moss is there. Yes. Josh Brolin. Yes. Yes. Um, Florence Pugh's joining the cast. Yeah. Um, Austin Butler is going to go, well, thank you he's very much. Pl- he's playing Sting's character. He's playing from- Sting's character who's inspired by Elvis. It's all, it's all comes full circle. I'm j- I joke, I joke. Um, this looks awesome. This looks really good. Yeah. I will be seeing this There's going to be two parts, right? There's going to be three. No, it's part two. I believe. But I'm saying, are there, is he making two or three? I thought it was just two, but there, I think there were discussions to make a part three because of the fact that the books keep going. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, it's called like Sons of Doom. Um, so Doom. in March of 2022, they confirmed that a third film, um, Dune 3, is at least being discussed. 
that would round out a trilogy starring Timothy Chalamet. I can't find... Oh, wait. Denis Villeneuve confirmed that there will be a Dune Part 3 a few years after Dune Part 2 comes out. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Love it. Shut up and take my money, man. That's all I got to say. Like, this is awesome. It looks... That's the thing is, it looks phenomenal. They try hard. They have a great cast. Did you just do the thing for the first one when they were designing, like, all the vehicles and stuff? I did not. Denis Villeneuve would show it to his mother... And and she'd be like, yeah, I believe that. And then he'd be like, okay, that's how we're designing it. Then so like like the, the like the the man or the like the dragonflies. Yeah, right. She'd look at that and be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I believe that. And she'd be like, okay, that's how we're designing it. And it looks awesome. Yeah, thumbs up all the way around. I'm really really excited for this movie. And now to move on to a trailer that um, for a movie that we neither of us were very excited about, but this trailer got me a little hype. The first trailer for Neil Bloomkamp's Gran Turismo movie adaptation has been released. It stars David Harbour, Orlando Bloom, Orlando Bloom, Dijon Hansau, and more. The film hits theaters August 11th. The synopsis reads as follows. The ultimate wish-fulfillment tale of a teenage Gran Turismo player whose gaming skills won a series of Nissan competitions to become an actual professional race car driver based on a true story. Because oh, okay. it is a true story. Okay, maybe. Did you see them make an F1 movie with Brad Pitt and he's going to actually drive an F1 car? I did not. Really? I think so. That's cool. So, Davis, I'll, I'll, I'll did you see this Gran Turismo trailer? No. So, I remember I don't when play we Gran were, Turismo. Well, I don't either, but I was going to watch it anyway. I remember when we were talking about, because remember PlayStation and Sony had their list of adaptations, right? Yeah, like, yeah Brad Pitt drove it the British Grand Prix. Oh. As part of the movie. Whoa, that's cool. He's so, going to. That's cool. So, what I was saying is, remember we talked about this, it was during the Last of Us debate, and it was all the... PlayStation series that are getting adaptations and we were this one was like the biggest what it's a racing game so when you watch this trailer it's incredible because it like opens with like you know dramatic or whatever and then the first shot you see are the video games themselves you're like oh this is different it's a very different kind of story and I really really like it the trailer is really good I mean it's you know it's cliche here and there sure whatever but it's a very unique version of a video game adaptation and I quite like it I, Give it a I I'm not gonna see it in theaters because I I don't go to theaters unless I really really want to see a movie. But I, I'll just go to theaters if I want to. Dave's Dave's an animal. Um, I will definitely be giving this a, a watch at some point just out of curiosity because it's very different and I think it's gonna be very refreshing in the world of Uncharted and God of War and The Last of Us literally adapting the video game. This is about a guy playing the video game. Yeah, and I'm sure they're gonna borrow some things from the games, you know, and whatnot. And I think that's gonna be really cool, but. It looks cool, man. Th- thumbs up for them for at least trying to take things in a different direction because nowadays, as we've seen with, you know, the Russos being excited about AI, democratization of storytelling. Oh, my God. According to The rap, though, Carl Urban is nearing a deal to star as Johnny Cage in the upcoming Mortal Kombat sequel. I love Carl Urban. Don't know if I love a Mortal Kombat sequel. However, those games are not really personal to me. I don't know if they are to you, Davis. No, but I don't like fighting games. Really, not even Injustice. I mean, it's like very popular. I just—it's not my style of game. Yeah, it's, I it's, did. I played Injustice, but I—I I just played it because I was like, I read the comics. I was like, I'll play this. Yeah, I've never been a fighting game person myself. That's just it's not just not, not for me. Fun to me. It's there's too much meta in it and stuff, and you have to—it's—it's it's too complex. And kind of, I—I'm already a very story-based gamer, anyways. Like, I don't even really play multiplayer or like shooting yeah, games that much, really just because I honestly I like playing the campaign. I still I do sometimes now Fortnite, yeah. COD. It, well, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Also, according to Daniel RPK, Margot Robbie has reportedly been offered the role of Sue Storm in MCU's upcoming Fantastic Four. I gotta go invisible in it. Margot Robbie? Yeah. <laughs> that was a great voice. That was she's, a great impression. She's Australian. Yeah, but I didn't... Okay, you just did an Australian accent. Yeah. That's, Couldn't that's... do Margot Robbie's accent? No. Wow. 
I think Incredible. we I think we've we've quite established I can't do accents. That's probably probably a little bit true. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say this because I love Margaret Robbie, but man, she is in everything now. True. Like in a like I don't know. You know, in a, in an opposite way, where like Ryan Gosling is every isn't everything that's good. If that makes any sense, but he's not like. He he's not like Ryan Reynolds, if that makes any sense. Ryan Reynolds is in all like the popular box office movies. Ryan Gosling's in Blade Runner, La La Land, oh. Barbie, whatnot. Margot Robbie's kind of both, mm-hmm. and it's it means she's just literally in everything. Yeah, which you know more power to her. It's her career. Do what you want. I personally am not that excited for this Fantastic Four movie anyway. Uh, they they've they lost me a while ago. They should they should have rolled this out way sooner. Yeah, I would agree. They were they should have been like guys in the worst of the moment we bought it and just shoehorn it in. Also, a first look at Mia Goth and Halsey in A24's Maxine was released. Davis, I'm gonna show you a picture because the moment I saw it, I thought it was just Taylor Swift and Mia Goth walking down a sh- or no, Taylor Swift and Halsey walking down a street. Like at a glare, I was like, is that Taylor Swift on the left? Is that a who's that, Elizabeth that, Banks? No, that's Mia Goth. What? I know. Like, it, looks, it looks like the girl from What's, is that Elizabeth Banks? Her name kind of looks like Elizabeth Banks. Yes, the girl from Pitch Perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's her. Um, so that's apparently a new exciting movie. A twenty four um is going to be financing that one. So a lot of people will be watching it because people love Mia Goth. I don't know how, how much people love Halsey, but I'm sure she has some fans out there. Oh, happy Cinco de Mayo, by the way. Oh yes, happy Cinco de Mayo to all. Um, I don't know if we have any listeners in Spanish speaking countries on the podcast. Let me check real quick. But happy Cinco de Mayo to everybody. Yeah. Like, and I mean, well, it just was well, technically just Mexico. Oh, but, my mistake. Yeah, I, I, I'm, that's my bad. I'm bad. I'm bad on the law. I was trying. I was trying to be extra inclusive. and I went too far. That's 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 my mistake on that one. Of course, we are filming this um, episode or recording this episode on Cinco de Mayo. It'll be releasing on May the seventh. So retroactively, happy Cinco de Mayo to all. Davis, are you Battle ready to Puebla. get what? Battle of Puebla. Oh yeah, there you go. Um, are you ready to get into the movies that we all came here to talk about? So Kingdom of Heaven, a 2006 film, which stars Orlando Bloom as Balian of Ibelin, Eva Green as Sibylla of Jerusalem, Jeremy Irons mm-hmm. as, he actually is based on Raymond III of Tripoli, but his name is Tiberius, David Thewlis as the Hospitaller, or Hospitaller, Brendan Gleeson as Reynald de Chatillon, uh, Martin Saska as Guy de Lusignan, Edward Norton mm-hmm. in a crazy um, appearance as King Baldwin IV of Jerusalem, Michael Sheen as the unnamed priest. His Liam, brother. Exactly, and we'll certainly get to that too. Liam Neeson as Godfrey the Baron of Ibelin, the envelopor topic as Almerich, Ghassan Massad as Salahadine, Alexander Siedig as <clears throat> excuse me, Imad Adin al-Isfa. Ali Fahani. Sorry, I'm just trying to make sure I get these names um, at least mostly correct. Nicolaja Costa-Waldo as a village sheriff who made a cameo for those Game of Thrones fans out there. Martin Hancock as the gravedigger and Ian Glenn as Richard I of England. Davis, could you talk about this cast one second while I cough? Uh, yeah, it's quite the phenomenal <laughs> cast. Everybody shows up and shows out pretty well, I'd say. Uh, some of the accents of the people were kind of hard to understand, I felt, was an issue early in the movie, but uh, the sound mixing also, I'm not going to say left a lot to be desired, but it was kind of hard to understand sometimes with Inter- like all the other sound and stuff. That's on, interesting. It I didn't really just have been, a problem with that. It could have been on my TV, on YouTube. It could have been compressed and stuff. Yeah, because I felt like we had a pretty, like I understood what they were saying, but I also I mean, seen like, the movie Most before. of the time, but then also I'd be, they'd say something, I'd be like, what? 
I, don't, I didn't feel like going back. Like, Saladin said something when he was doing the terms. I was like, I have no idea what you just said, man. Yeah, yeah. There, there were there were a couple where I was like, what did – like, I just genuinely did not – I was like, there's no – there was one where, like, so um, Jason Isaac says – you are arrested, and he, I'm pretty sure he says the words and condemned, but it does not sound like that. It, yeah. There's no, like, s- condemned, like, it's it sounds like emperbend or whatever is what it, literally how I hear it. I, I'm assuming he says condemned because the dude is, like, literally condemned to die, but I honestly have no earthly idea. So I was just, you know, guessing on that one. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait Based a minute. on true story. Absolutely, in, in a loose sense, Jerusalem. and we're definitely going to get to that. It's directed by the great Ridley Scott, written by William Monaghan, who also wrote The Departed. Oh yeah, The, the same Departed. Year. Or no, no, not the, the same Departed. year. Um, the very next year, edited by Dodie Dorn, cinematography from John Matheson, which is a little data. We'll get to that. The beautiful score crafted by one of the best of all time, Harry Gregson Williams. He actually won the Best Composer of the Year award at the Hollywood Film Awards this year for his work on this film and what other movie, Davis? Who? Harry Gregson Williams. Composer? Yes. In 2006? Yes. Um, Children of Men. No. That'd be, that'd be actually, pretty... it's 2005. That'd be pretty cool. That'd though. be pretty cool. It's actually The Chronicles of Narnia. Oh. He he composed the score for I that for- film. I kind of forgot those movies existed. I love that first movie, man. I kind of forgot they existed. Go on Disney Plus and watch them, man. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. I used to. I read those as a kid. I think I didn't read any of them. I read like the first one. I don't think I ever got to Prince Caspian. You know, my my love for C.S. Lewis was killed when we had to read Paralandra. So, oh. Ugh. Ugh. anyway, this film premiered in London on May second, two thousand and five, before getting a release in Germany on May fifth and a U.S. wide release on May sixth. The runtime for the theatrical cut is two hours and twenty four minutes, while the superior director's cut is three hours and 14 minutes. That's a cool 50 minutes more, ladies and gentlemen. And that is a very important point that we're going to stop before we go through the rest of our information and sort of set the scene for you here. So the reason we're talking about this movie is because Kingdom of Heaven, Ridley Scott's sort of next great epic following his success with Gladiator, which of course won all the awards, made all the money, yada, 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 so on and so forth. This film is about, like Davis said, the sieges of Jerusalem and a a portion of the Crusades in 1184. Most of the characters in this movie are very real people. King Baldwin the Fourth is the a real person, King, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, ba- Balian is yeah, real Balian. and is like was, is very much con- compared si- similarly. Reynald of Chatillon is real. King Guy de Richard, Lusignon, of course, is real. Exactly, all those people. Richard the Lionheart. Exactly, all of them very very real characters. So Scott's making this movie. He's writing this epic with Monaghan. He's putting it together and whatnot. And then leading into the release. The film was was cut up. The studio was like, we wanted this to be shorter. It's too long. It's too long. It ends up being two hours and 24 minutes, which is still pretty long. And in part to that, Davis, it, because of its large scope and scale and visually striking landscapes, it did cost $130 million to make, but it was a complete box office failure and made just $218 million, which on a $130 million budget, you need to double the money yeah. you spent just to break even. That's the traditional sense. And... It, it only earned $47 million in U.S. and Canada, but it did a lot better in Europe and the rest of the world and also had some success in Arab-speaking countries, Arabic-speaking countries, specifically Egypt. However, Ridley Scott insinuated that the U.S. failure of the film was the result of poor advertising, which presented the film as an adventure with a love story rather than as an examination of religious conflict, which I say it fits that second bill a lot better, especially having seen the director's cut. It also had been noted that the film was altered from its original vision to be shorter and follow a simpler plot line. The 
And this is what so this is the interesting thing to me. People involved in the production have referred to the theatrical cut as the less sophisticated version, which I think is a is a nice way to describe it compared to the usual. So they they've compared the original oh, the director's cut to being sophisticated whereas this is the more dumbed down version. Although Scott and some of his crew felt it was simply watered down explaining that by editing it, quote, you've gone in there and taken little bits from everything, which I've seen both You've only seen one, so I'm going to go ahead and talk about how we view this director's cut before we get into those differences that I'm going to talk about a bit later on. Uh, where should I start? Obviously, I think there's a lot. There's a lot to go through. We can talk about that first 40 minutes that really sets up a lot. Well, I think this movie goes by pretty quick for a three-hour, 14-minute movie. I did split it up, but there's actually an intermission in it, so it kind of works out. But uh, there is an intermission. There wasn't one in in my YouTube, so I guess there was one in yours. There was like built-in intermission with the music playing, and it kind of fades back in oh um, wait so so that actually if if i may davis um connect that so that is actually based on the director's cut that they released so after this film failed they commissioned a director's cut it's a four disc box set with a runtime of 194 minutes and is shown as a road show presentation with an overture and intermission in the vein of yeah, traditional like hollywood epic films i really like the overture that's cool but uh uh this is an epic movie, and I and I just want to go ahead and say that the Siege of Jerusalem is up there with Helm's Deep for the best like fight battle scene yes, ever Davis. for me. It's I mean it's crazy. The sca- Any, most of the fights in general, the, just the scale of it with the amazing uh, choreography, amazing. Uh, it was pretty graphic as well, but amazing like uh, uh, costume design and stuff as well. The scale and scope of it to me is what is what makes it like my favorite scene, and we're just gonna jump around here. So I first want to set the scene though. So, among other things, so I want to tell a little bit of a story too about this. So I never heard of this movie before, and I'm scrolling through TV one night back in Mobile like years ago, right? Uh-huh. And I find this movie Kingdom of Heaven. And it's 2006. I see the cast and crew, and I'm like, how have I not heard of this movie? I mean, this has the who's who of mid 2000s like a, a young Orlando Bloom at the at the peak of his stardom yeah, he was really fresh off going of ham back then Lord of the Rings parts came in this dude was raking in he's probably I mean that consistent amount of money probably the biggest box office star of that era yeah. considering the amount of money all of his movies pulled and of course he was a side character in some of them but doesn't matter so I'm like this has to be good and I watched the director's cut and I'm like this is just weird mm-hmm. it's not good and well and i'll explain why because you're going to be very surprised when i tell you about things that were omitted i know we already talked about one beforehand but it was weird i was like this this can't be right so i go and look because it's really scott mm-hmm. really scott he's missed a bit lately but it's really scott we're talking about he made the martian he made the gladiator i, I think blank from check. what he's made yeah i give him the yeah prometheus isn't that bad I, I give, him, give him the benefit of the doubt prometheus isn't that bad well he did make um alien? a certain no no alien well alien's great yeah he i'm made, just saying he, he made that. um the house of gucci movie which uh, he gets a pass. He made Gladiator. <laughs> he made Alien. He, he, made, made, he made Kingdom of Heaven. He made The Martian. Come on, it yeah, all he made the Martian. it, it all passes passed. here. So I'm like, this is weird. So then I go and look it up, and if you look up the Kingdom of Heaven, you find the director. I go on YouTube to like find like a difference of video, and I find that. But then on YouTube, it has been routinely uploaded in full by people, yep. and I'm like, go ahead, cool, watch it. So there's, I, there's a lot of good movies on YouTube hidden away. Lahane, it's on YouTube. Exactly. There you Come go. and see. YouTube. I've never seen that one. That one's very depressing, very... Sounds right up your alley, then. <laughs> well, no, it's like one oh. of the most graphic movies I've ever watched. Oh, dear. Watched. Like, oh, dear. It's a war movie. It's the most anti-war. It's really good. It's, But a lot of the production's pretty... Yeah. but it's, Interesting. Oh, not rated. Wow, that's crazy. It's it's pretty... A lot of people say it's like the scariest movie ever made. Whoa. Not not like in the traditional Whoa. sense, but just like how... It's like you're watching like actual war. Oh, dang. Yeah. Add that to the list. It's very good. But it's very, list. very hard to watch. Yeah. 
And to circle back to Kingdom Heaven before Sorry. we go too off. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I just, just want to make sure we. I, I stay on topic in my own head headspace because I had ideas that I was going to go to. So I really like the way it sets everything up, Davis. I agree with you that the scale and the scale and just scope of it all is so incredibly significant. Like for me, my favorite scene in probably the whole movie. That's not a scene that just has Baldwin talking in his room because for, I'm not kidding. I can't explain it. I'm obsessed with that character. No, he's so cool. I'm obsessed. The design's really cool as I'm a, well. I'm obsessed with Norton's portrayal. I'm obsessed with the way he evokes. The, I'm obsessed with the way. So, again, we've talked about this. One of my favorite things is when a movie makes you believe who these people are. They're like, he's the king? Okay, yeah. And Jeremy Irons sells it. Everybody sells it as he's this incredibly powerful figure. Even though he's so weak physically, he commands this kind of respect. And I love every scene he's in. My favorite scene is definitely when they meet at Kerak and um, it, Orlando Bloom's character, Balian, meets his old friend, which I love that entire storyline. And he's like, my master is here. And in the back, you see the golden cross come over the, oh, the it's cliff. Oh, so, so cool. And then just Baldwin with, I mean, hundreds of, feel, thousands of extras. I don't know how they made that. There are so many people. The, it's probably it can't be CGI because it looks good, it, and the dust is moving around them. So him. either they really got that many people, which is what uh, did you ever hear the story about when Stanley Kubrick was trying to make the Napoleon movie? He tried oh, to get yeah, the right. entire like Czechoslovakian army <laughs> as extras. You know, you know Ridley Scott's next movie is about yeah, Napoleon, yeah. which I am. He could probably CG it though. True nowadays, but there are some CG shots in this movie, and they look pretty bad. Are they- there, there's one at the Siege of Jerusalem. There's like one that I'm like, that looks terrible. I didn't even notice. I, well, I was looking because Megan deliberately pointed out how good some of them looked, and I look, looked, pay attention. I was like, oh well, shoot. But I, either, either they did like not a matte painting, but like no, there's no way they could. It's either, so many people. Yeah, they had to have that many. I and guess. I mean, that scene is just like, oh, because that was when I think that was for for because I was watching it with Megan and like. She was kind of confused, and we'll certainly talk about that because there's a lot that happened in the first hour. There's mm-hmm. a lot of character dynamics that are set up, a lot of lore that is set up. She herself, and I want to talk about this too, was very confused about the politics of the Crusades because she was like, well, like, is France in control? And I was trying to explain it and because it is very confusing because the truth about the Crusades is that it was like a holy war in the most literal sense of the fact that countries across Europe who were very poor at the time were like, go reach salvation. Mm-hmm. That like it would there was no pol- there was no political you were a French nobleman but the country's not as much stake it was almost like the Pope was in well, charge even then most like back then countries were not we, as defined like back, like in the movie they mentioned this is kind of nitpicky of me but in the movie they're like uh, go until you hear them speak Italian and then keep going until you hear them speak something different but they wouldn't be speaking Italian because Italy didn't exist until the 1800s true and Itali- as we know it Italian in its base form did come into writing about a century after this was t- set to take place but even like it doesn't, doesn't no I agree they also say German which I don't not, I'm not sure if they would say the f- word German but it doesn't matter well they did call them Germanic tribes so possibility I'm not sure if you'd call the language they'd each have their own language it doesn't it once again does not matter it's just something yeah. I noticed like it it gets the point across people understand it it helps viewers understand but like if if I'm like a history historian nitpicking I'd probably be like no nah, nah, nah. and it's interesting that but you still s- yeah like England existed yeah Richard Lionheart yeah exactly France in in in, in, its, a, in a way in a simpler form again like so It'd be based on the history books that I, you know, remember studying. Like this is about two hundred years before real 
actual organization yeah. in Europe. Because this is when the Holy Roman Empire was still kind of a thing, sort of, maybe. I don't think it... It didn't... No. no in 1100, the Holy Roman Empire was not around. No, no, Davis. The in Holy 1100? Roman, no, so this... Yeah, look. Okay, look. Let me, let, me, let me look here real quick. So the Holy Roman Empire actually lasted... With Charlemagne. When was Charlemagne? Oh, wait, no. Sh- uh, Holy Roman Empire actually comes up later. That's Never what mind. I'm saying, because it ended in the 1800s my mistake, my when mistake. it broke apart. My mistake. Yes, that's all Thank right. Thank you. I, my bad, Davis. My Ele- bad. 1100 is so inconceivably long ago that there is... Like hardly anything. Wait, 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 wait. No. Cambridge would be around though. Wait, wait a minute. 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 Was it Oxford? Which one? Um, yeah. It looks like the Holy Roman Empire. I'd say in the 1500s when it probably um is. began in 768. Okay. So um, Charlemagne's good service to the church in defense of papal possessions against the Lombards made him the ideal king on Christmas Day of 800. Pope Leo the Third crowned Charlemagne emperor, restoring the title in the West for the first time in over three centuries. And this can be seen as a symbolic of the papacy turning away from the declining Byzantine Empire towards the new power of the Carolinian mm-hmm. Car- Carolingian Frank- Francia, because that's what they also called it. Charlemagne adopted for- a formula, renewal of the Roman Empire. Irene was overthrown and exiled, and therefore were two Roman Empire. Anyway, so, yeah. So, apparently, this is when it was just very, it was literally the Wild West. But the point I'm trying to make here, Davis, is that you brought up history, and there's actually a lot of issues historians have with this film, if you want to get into that for a bit here. Because I think you'll be surprised by some of it. So, Scott, anticipating the criticism of historical accuracy, said, Storybooks are what we base our movies on and what we base our characters on. The story of Balian of Ibelin was heavily fictionalized. The historical Balian was not a French artisan, but a prominent lord in the kingdom of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. The characters of Godfrey of Ibelin and the Hospitaller were wholly invented, while the stories of others were tweaked. For example, Renaud of Chatillon's responsibility for the Christian defeat is downplayed in order to make Guy more of an autonomous villain. However, in the director's cut, I think there's a bit more... I don't think it's downplayed nearly as much. The historical Sibylla was devoted to Guy, but the filmmakers wanted the character to be stronger and wiser. Some have said the character of Sibylla was reimagined to fit the trope of exotic Middle Eastern women, whereas historically Sibylla and Baldwin belonged to a distinctly Western class that sought to set themselves apart from Middle Eastern culture. Moreover, while describing contemporary accounts as young man, vigorous in spite of his leprosy, King Baldwin is portrayed in the film as passive, androgynous, and bound to his chamber. However, the real Baldwin actually went blind blind because he could no longer blink and his um corneas just dried up one of his eyes are like that in the movie if you see it yeah exactly and And he also couldn't use his hands or feet at some point so i I, I would think they kind of fit they kind of went the middle ground there which i'm which i'm fine with i'm fine with there also um i gotta bless you alex (laughs) sorry bless you alex Lord, I'm I'm coming coming down with something. We so have to go to the, we're gonna go to Jerusalem to get Alex blessed for No, his no, no. So academic critiques. There's a lot here I want to get to. So academic criticism has focused on the supposed peaceful relationship between Christians and Muslim in Jerusalem and other cities depicted. Historians of the Crusades, such as Jonathan Riley, Riley Smith, quoted by the Daily Telegraph, described the film as dangerous to Arab relations, calling the film, and I quote, Osama bin Laden's version of history. What? which would fuel the Islamic fundamentalists. Riley Smith further commented against the historical accuracy, stating that the fanaticism of most of the Christians in the film and their hatred of Islam is what the Islamists want to believe. At a time of interfaith tension, nonsense like this will only reinforce existing myths, arguing that the film relied on the romanticized view of crusades propagated by Sir Walter Scott in his book The Talisman, published in 1825 and now discredited by academics, which depicts Muslims as sophisticated and civilized, and the crusaders are all brutes and barbarians. It has nothing to do with reality. Paul Hassall defended Ridley Scott, claiming that historians cannot criticize filmmakers for having to make decisions they 
have to make. Scott is not writing a history textbook. Thomas F. Madden, the director of St. Louis University's Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies, criticized the film's presentation of the Crusades, saying, quote, Given events in the modern world, it is lamentable that there is so large a gulf between what professional historians know about the Crusades and what the general populace believes. The movie only widens that gulf. The shame of it is that dozens of distinguished historians across the globe would have been only too happy to help Scott and Monaghan get it right, end quote. So, Davis, to summarize what they're saying, because I did some additional research on this, I know it's kind of confusing out of context quotes there, and that Osama bin Laden's version of history is a very eyebrow-raising comment. So, the issue that they are are highlighting here, which I feel does not play as big of a role in the movie as maybe this is about the theatrical cut versus the director's cut, is about the fact that... The Crusaders primarily are portrayed as the guy that just yells, God wills it, and an army with with that bears Christ's holy cross cannot be beaten. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so much, uh, like, when he, when he said we would lose to Saladin, and they're like, um, dude. And then, obviously, Renault and Guy, and their destroying of peaceful caravans and whatnot. That dynamic is a bit too extreme compared to what his, history was like. The reality is, everybody was kind of like that, apparently. However... I'm fine with it in the context of this movie because, like Thomas F. Madden said, one, it's a movie, and number two, oh, wait, no, not like Thomas F. Madden said, more like how Paul Saul said, because Thomas F. Madden continued to be um, a little critical of it. I think it fits the dynamic of this film, and also we see that that's kind of the point, that there are the people pulling at the extremism, and the only reason extremism wins out on the Christian side of the conflict is because the guy holding it together dies. Because we even see how... It, throughout the film, um, Salahuddin and his advisors, he is very much more moderate, mm-hmm. whereas his advisors are like, "You, we could, we will not lose. Um, God, God determined that we would have won that battle today or whatever. So mm-hmm. I'm fine with the depiction personally. I understand, however, this was 2005 and tensions between Muslims and the rest of the world at that point, unfortunately, were in a very, very dark place. And I don't know if the world is ever going to fully recover from the damage that was done over that time period. But... I personally think that the movie does it all right. Yeah. I'm not a historian, obviously. I, I think in the sense that all the Crusaders went to the Holy Land. The Holy Land yeah. where the Arabic people that's their land. Yeah. Where where it's their homeland. We're just and the Crusaders just showing up and being like, Oh, this is ours now, we're gonna kill you for it. And I think, yeah, like maybe Salahuddin is portrayed more peaceful than he was, allegedly. I read a little bit about that. But also, guys, have you considered that it's a good movie and he's a really cool character? Yeah. Because <laughs> I like him a lot. I really like his portrayal. I he think he's cool he's very cool. I think he he really steals the show whenever he's on screen. But yeah, that's a little bit of the historical accuracy issues. Mm-hmm. I really like this movie though, Davis. I think I also really like it. It it's surprising to me how detailed it can be. I love all the side plots that are going on throughout it. It's very in depth. And like you said, that siege of Jerusalem, I mean, Davis, that speech when he says rise a knight and knights the whole group, that had me oh, about yeah. to get up and, and start clapping. And the guy clapping. was like, uh, and, and that priest was like, just because you're a knight doesn't mean you fight better. And he turned around and was like, yes, it does. Awesome. So cool. Love it. So, yeah, that's the bishop who's so annoying. He is so annoying. Um, he, he goes, just convert to Islam. He's like, what? Yeah, what convert to Islam, repent later. And I'm like, what? The, dude, what are you doing, man? He's like, you can't burn the bodies. I'm like, um, we'll all die in three days, so suck it yeah, up. Yeah, and when he's like, if God doesn't allow that, then he's no God. Oh, my. Oh, that was a hard Orlando line. Bloom dropped some bars. No, so that's, Orlando Bloom's so cool in there. That's what I was going to say, Davis. When you said the um, go to when the men speak Italian and keep going till they speak something else, maybe it's inaccurate, but have you considered that's a bar, Davis? Have you considered that that, that, is, that is a great line of dialogue? No, I mean, it is, yeah. 
Ridley, man, William Monahan had some great, great lines. I wrote a bunch down that I certainly want to go through um, at some point in this movie. But I I really love the beginning, though. I just really love how it sets everything up. I love the initial training scene because I'm sitting there with Megan and we're watching it. And when, when he says, go high guard or whatever, and she's like, that's kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. But something that this movie does that most movies from that era do not do is they sell the fact that these are long swords, ladies and gentlemen. These things are very heavy. There's no way you can swing them with any kind of efficiency unless yeah, you... you're not using one hand. Which goes so later on, which I want to talk about David Thewlis's character of um, the Hospitalar, who's like... There's a theory, by the way, that he's a guardian angel and is not a real person. Well, yeah, no, because he disappears at one point. Yeah. And then also, the, he sets the... He doesn't set the bush on fire, but it's implied that he said he does set the bush on fire. We exactly. He like threw the rock. That was a cool scene. That was so cool. He threw cool. the rock and he lit the bush on fire. It was, like, it was just there's no god. He just lit it on fire, and then the other one lit up, and he was like, "What?" That was. And he turned around, and he was gone. So I love how the movie leans into that spirituality just a bit. It doesn't go so far as to be like you know, there's no sci-fi fantasy type nonsense with it, but it leans in just enough to go, "Hey guys, maybe there was a reason everybody came here," kind of thing. And I love that. I think that's fun. Good on them, because that like it's only a few scenes. Like it's the how does how does Balian survive on the ship? It just does exactly. There, there, there's like a little bit of that. Okay, come on now, y'all. But how, how is there a horse perfectly right there for him? It leans into that just a bit. Is. Don't worry about it. And I love it. I love it. I mean, there's so many quotes that um I what that I love about this um. I just, I'm, I'm just reading. Is, is it true that in Jerusalem I can erase my sins and that of my wife? Is it true? And Liam Neeson goes, we can find out together. And I just love that and love that whole dynamic. I love the dynamic that develops between them them two and just every, I'm trying to think. Um, and just even the way they write Guy and Renault, he's so, te- Guy is awful. Yeah. He's so evil. And I even love the way they write Renault for a bit. He's like, he's like, I am what I am. Somebody has to be, which is just you know a little bit, a little bit of a detail there. Obviously, he, they're still cartoonishly evil, yeah. and you know they're just. Ooh, I have something. I have a Go funny ahead. thing to tell. Go ahead. I was watching this movie, and they were also when they were sitting around just like eating at one point in the movie, early in the movie. Um, I don't know. I was watching. I was like, man, I just want to eat some like chicken and bread right now. <laughs> like I don't know what it was like, and I want to right now. Just like. Get some like chicken and like pick it apart and just have some like like a loaf of bread with it, like 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 a baguette or something. <laughs> I don't know something primal in me. Just like I just want to like and drink it with some like wine. Oh my gosh, that that's hilarious. Oh, that that's so hilarious. Good. So a couple more of these quotes that I saw. Um, oh my gosh, I love when Balian is walking around with that guy who doesn't show up again in the movie. Um, and they're at the Messina on the stopping point, and he sees the Muslim pilgrim is praying, What'd and he die? just. Um, I don't remember. How to, I don't know what his name is, but what does he do? He he's like just one of Godfrey's soldiers, and he dies in the ship, evidently, because oh, okay. we don't see him again. And Balin just goes, "That sounds like our prayers." And I was like, "Yes, thank you." Making a point, everybody. Thumbs up to that, Ridley Scott. Also, um, I love the dynamic with the guy that he you know takes as his slave and says, "No, I will not own a slave." He's like, "You're you're." He says your quality will be known among your enemies before you ever and meet them. And then he meets him again. So cool. Oh my gosh, that dynamic is so fun. I also first right. of all, Jeremy Irons has some bars in this movie. Tiberius is spitting. And one of those is, in my opinion, my favorite. I put no stock in religion. By the word religion, I've seen the lunacy of fanatics of every oh. denomination called the will of God. That was a good one. Spitting. Absolute perfection. Obviously, this movie. Um, you, you, you having a conversation out there, Davis? Uh, can we pause real quick? Uh, sure. 
so yeah, I was going to say that this film, it says a lot of things that we in a more modern society know, but in 2005, considering the very, very stark religious divide in many areas, it says a lot of things that are like, yeah, good points, man. I'm sure that's why they wanted to edit it down, partly as well. Hey, man, you know, your studios are studios are evil I'm people. I'm to get some like chicken and bread after this. Man. Hey, man, I <laughs> like pick at it like a like a noble <laughs> with some wine. Get yourself a loaf. You no, know, get yourself like, get, the, the, like the, the baguette from Panera. Yeah, hey, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they'll do the job. Public or Rouse's used to have really good. Ooh, ones. there you go. We don't have Rouse's up here, but Wait, Publix unfor- will. Unfortunately, not. I just really love this movie, and you know, it's funny that you say that, Davis, because I remember watching it, and Megan's like, why would they cut any of this out? And I was like, that's a great question, Megan, because studios are... Greedy. Stupid. Many, many words of, of those included. I just love this movie. And again, I love I love King Baldwin. Edward no, Norton so cool. steals no, the show. So, so cool. Like, the fact that there's, so there's that dynamic when... Um, when Re- Renault and Guy de Lusignon attack that caravan, and... They have the whole meeting, and they're just yelling at each other. Tiberius and Guy are just going at it, and Baldwin just sits there. He sits there, and he reads, and he just puts his hand up and commands silence, and he's like, Saladin has crossed the Jordan with 200,000 men. I will lead the army. And I'm like, yes! So cool. And then the dynamic when they meet, and Saladin's horse is like going all wild, and then Baldwin's just just strolling up. <laughs> just like, hey, man, how's it going? Saladin's cool. He is. He, he really is. pretty nice. He is, and... I I love how he's like, what is Jerusalem worth? Nothing. And then and he turns everything. around and goes, everything. He like smirks. And yeah, he walks it's funny, off. man. I mean, that's just it's. And then I love. So I think this was not included in the theatrical cut as much, but the director's cut of him getting to walk around the different places and him like him like even seeing the ransacked place and lifting up the cross and putting it on its spot. That was just a nice, a nice tie a bow on it oh, detail. So cool. Because it, I mean, you know this. Because then, of course, you have the end. Peace remains elusive in the in the in the kingdom of heaven, which is remains true to this day. And I think that's definitely um, definitely very difficult. I just I I love bless you, Davis. Thank you. I love this movie. I, I love all the dynamics. The I, only, I didn't rate it on. I need to rate it on Letterbox. The only issues I have is that there are some very dated slow mo shots, yes. some weird color graded shots. And some just odd, like there was a weird song they played when Sibylla and Bailey and get together. That I was like, okay, I feel like you could. That's that a little out. weird. And then other two things I have that are beef with it is the fact that there Bailey kind of disappears when the Baldwin plotline is going on. Like at one point he's just sitting at a bush doing nothing, and I'm like, okay. And then again he's just sitting there, and some Templars show up to kill him, and it's like, hmm, okay. Other than that, though. I love it. I love the scale of it. I love how it all looks. I love the dynamics it sets up. I love the the details of the fact that Renault is kind of influencing Guy. Like those two scenes when Guy goes to ask him for advice at the prison cell, and he's like, or Renault's like, you have to kill him now. And and Guy just looks almost helpless because he's very much. I love how so many characters represent different dynamics of why people would go to the Holy Land. If you know what I'm talking about, you know, some people would go for salvation. Some people go for money. Some people go for greed. Some people go for king and country. And other people just go for glory. And I think Guy is that. Like, especially when Tiberius leaves and he's like, Tiberius, you had your glory. Now it's my time to get what I deserve or whatever. And then, of course, he leads his army away from water and they get absolutely annihilated. Hmm. Yeah. I love this movie. They should have listened to Balian. He knew what he was doing, man. And then also at the end when Richard the Lionheart came up and he's like, I'm looking for Balian, the defender of the defender of Jerusalem. He goes, I'm a blacksmith. I'm the blacksmith. But he he obviously knows it's Bailey, and he goes, "I'm the blacksmith." He goes, "Okay, okay, man, I, I do what, I do what Boom. you can. I do what you can." Again, I 
We like this movie. It's a shame it was a box office flop because I think there's a lot to be said about it. Some people get really critical of Orlando Bloom's portrayal. I think he's just fine in this. I think there might be one or two scenes where I'm like, okay, but it all made up for it because that speech he gives when he's leading the like they cast him because they knew he could lead the I defense. I also liked that uh they let him wear like a helmet and all that. They didn't do like the he's the star, so he has to not wear a helmet. Like he was wearing he was wearing like Or even keeping the chainmail on his head. Pretty too. yeah, pretty pretty realistic, I feel uh armor. And I loved when he has his his number two guy, and he's like, "No matter what happens, you are the Baron of Evelyn now." And he gives it to him. Oh, and I love how he just the, the the whole irrigation scene is so cool. Yeah, that was kind of cool. It's just yeah. it's just fun details, man. I just, uh, I just felt like maybe they would have had that by then. Well, I mean, yeah, it was. I think it was just the fact that nobody had taken the time to do yeah. it because I think people expected the Holy Land to be immediate success, and when they found it, they're like, "Oh no!" But he, yeah, but. I think that's that's also just there is a bit of oh he's just suddenly the best or whatever but eh, I don't care. So how about these director cut differences? Do you want to go through some of these right now and yeah because we, we got we got the time I'm I'm checking the clocks here so director's cut differences this is from Wikipedia so significant subplots were added as well as enhanced character relationships. Now Davis this is where I tell you that the the theatrical cut was terrible because the priest Balian kills at the beginning of the film is actually revealed to be his half-brother because in the original film, he only has three scenes. Mm -hmm. And none of them, it is implied that he is his brother. All three, it's just him being a bit like sleazy and then Bailey just kills him unprovoked, basically. We have no idea what is going on. There's no dynamic established there because one of the key details of this whole film is that Balian is not prone to violence. He goes to a war-torn place, but that's not his first instinct. That's why he immediately is so terrified by the fact that he kills him. But that is not at all established at any point in the theatrical cut. Additionally, the Lord presiding over Balian's hometown is revealed to be Godfrey's brother in the in the theatrical cut. That is not established. Again, there's the whole point of the beginning um, when the priest is talking to the bishop and the bishop goes, the law goes too far in some places. And times I'm forced to wonder if Jesus would do it thus, in reference to decapit- mutilation of bodies after suicides and whatnot. Yeah. Battle scenes are depicted with more violence than in the theatrical cut, and there's more scenes with David Thewlis's The Hospitaller, or Hospitaller, which is pretty cool. I love him. He's really cool. I like their hard dynamic and everything. As more guidance to Balin is added in. The most significant addition is the fact that in the theatrical cut, there is no mention of Baldwin V of Sybil's nephew. None whatsoever. And in they the kill thea- him as well in the director's cut. It's incredible, because in the theatrical cut, Davis, it literally goes, Baldwin's dead, and off screen you hear Sybil say to Guy, if I have your knights, you have your wife. Referencing that she just wants to be protected herself, which is such a selfish decision compared to what this film is really about. And I think that entire sequence adds so much to the movie. Mm-hmm. Especially because later on, there's a scene where where Tiberius set, tells um, Balian, well, the boy is dead. And it's like, mm, who, who are you talking about in the theatrical yeah. cut? That that that's a, that's a big miss. The Gravedigger from Balian's hometown, did you like his return? Um, that was fine. Fine. I love when he shows up. And he's like, hello, Grave Digger. Oh, yeah, actually, he's like, I'll see you in France, or whatever, after he's dead. Exactly. It's so good. It's so good. And the fact that he knights them all, and it's just... Stand. Oh you are now knights. Exactly. And finally, the final fight between Balian and Guy in the streets where Balian decides to spare him is actually not in the movie at all. That felt I a like little that. weird like to it. me, but I like I like the chance that it's... You know, it's it's really testing his vengeance because he was never vengeful against the Muslims. I also loved, again, his speech when he's like, um, no one has claim, and the bishop says blasphemy, and he's like, be quiet. Yeah. That whole speech about the nobody, fact that nobody has claim. It's all, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's, it's kind of it's true. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just building on top of building on top of building on top of building and so on and so forth. 
I love this movie. And maybe you want to learn more about, more about the Crusades. It's very fascinating. That whole the whole dynamic there is very fascinating. I love this movie. I think the director's cut is one of the more enjoyable movies I've ever seen. I could watch it a billion times, to be yeah, honest. I'll probably rewatch it soon. So what you didn't rate it on Letterboxd, what would you rate it um, just off this first viewing, Davis? Four, four and a half. I, oh yeah, we, out of five. We, we've done out of so ten, though. Eight okay. or nine. I, I give I give it a solid nine for me. There are, you asked me on Letterboxd, so I told you my Letterboxd. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I think I gave it a nine. What did I give you it? You give it a last? four out of five. Really? I give it a, I give it just a flat four? Yep. <gasps> that feels wrong. You could just change it, you know. I think I might just change it, because that, that doesn't feel right to me. I think I'm going to change that four and a half. I love it. Again, there's those two or three issues that I mentioned, but this movie is just, it's its a perfect fitting part of Ridley Scott's film career, and it's a shame that it got cut to pieces and ended up being a very big box office failure. Any final thoughts on Kingdom of Heaven, on eating that bread and chicken before we move on oh, to the next I movie? I might actually do that. Um, but speaking of uh, characters that are not prone to violence. Absolutely, Davis. From Children of Men, Theo, do you know he never touches a gun one time in the, in the whole movie? Really? Never once. And with that, shall we get into the, yes, m- the the main event of the hour, Children of Men, which stars Clive Owen as the greatest name in modern cinema, Thelonious Theo Farron. Theo Farron, yeah. Claire Hope Ashiti, I think? I, I, don't, I don't know. As Key. As Key. Julianne Moore as Julian, Julian Taylor. My- Michael Kine as Jasper Palmer. Pam Ferris as Miriam Chiwetel Ejiofor as Luke. Charlie Hunnam as Patrick, Peter Mullen as Sid, Danny Huston as Nigel. It's directed by the one and only, the man himself, the creator of the greatest Harry Potter film ever, Alfonso Cuaron. Is you? Okay? I just saw a glare and looked at you at a solitary tear going no, down no, your I was, eye. I was, I, was like, I was looking. I was looking around. I was like, what in the world? Screenplay was a true team effort and included Cuaron, Timothy J. Sexton, David Arada, Mike, Mark Fergus, and Hawk. Hawk Ostby. It's based on a novel of the same name written by P.D. James. Emmanuel Luzbecki delivers some of the best cinematography I've ever seen in my entire life. It's edited by Alex Rodriguez, not the baseball player. And That'd be Quattro. cool. That'd be crazy. And a truly underrated score from John Taverner. For as expansive as it is, the film is relatively short at one hour and 49 minutes. A credit to the breakneck pacing and work from everyone involved. This film picks up at 13 minutes and never, and the rock means never, stops. This movie is... Something to behold, man. This movie came uh, based on the 1992 novel by P.D. James, as you said, which I have read. Yes. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron has not read it, and he did not read it when he was making this movie. You, oh, yeah, so I know. I actually have that written down in my in my, in my my notes that we're certainly going to get to that. I want to play a little game with you, Davis. So, you know, Davis, I was looking at the box office numbers for this film, and we will get to them in a minute, but they are not great. And I wondered why, because it was an expensive film, a great cast and crew behind it, and I, but then I saw the release dates, and good Lord, good God almighty. Children of Men premiered in Venice, Italy on September 3rd, 2006. It then got a release in the UK on September 22nd. Davis, let's play a quick game here. When do you think it got released in the US? Uh, ne- in 2006, next year. Well, no, this is 2006. I don't know. It got released on Christmas Day. What? What a terrible time to release that movie. You're telling me? No wonder it didn't do good. Because okay. So the releases are spread so sporadically, it goes that September 22nd release in the UK, then a November 18th release in Japan before a December 25th release in the United States. That makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. I do not understand. I don't understand anything about this and why it released like that. Because like I said, it cost $76 million to make. However, it was unfortunately 
Um, a box office failure as well, making $70.5 million at the global box office, which, again, just does not cut it in terms of what the film really needed. It did debut as number one in the U.K., and it debuted in a limited release in the U.S. before going expanding to 1,200 theaters on January 5th. It did gross $69 million worldwide as of February 6th, with just $35 million of revenue generated in the U.S. Davis, this movie is... I have a little story to tell, if you, if you feel so inclined to indulge me in another story, why yes. don't you? So you may remember that you showed me and all of my friends at 160 Ross this movie maybe sophomore year, a while ago. You, you brought it over and we watched it, if you what? recall. I don't remember that. Really, we did. We watched it. Um, Are you dreaming this? I don't know this. No, because I remember it very vividly because I've seen it twice now. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time because you brought it over and we watched it because you're like, hey, we, we watched it. I think we watched it for the podcast. I think we talked about it a bit on the podcast before, maybe not in such detail as we have now. And the reason I bring that up is because um, most of you listening are either my mom or my friends and know that I have been, one could call, one could call sickly in the past. Um, we're not going to go into ex- explicit details on said illness, but I was still experiencing the effects of that illness and felt really terrible the whole time we're watching that movie. So I was kind of miserable the whole time and spent the whole time just waiting for it to end. So while I enjoyed it, I didn't really get a chance to really appreciate it. And this past time I watched it unobstructed, uninterrupted, no illnesses or sicknesses or bad feelings to bother me. And let me tell you, oh my God. Mm-hmm. I There are no words to describe this movie in the way that I would like to describe it. It is, you're the expert, Davis, but it is beyond measure. So um, are you familiar with the concept of like being so overwhelmed by emotion from like art that it makes you cry? Yes. <laughs> No, that, yes, I'm familiar. So one time I was driving home listening to movie soundtracks and Agape by Nicholas Patel came on, if you know that one. It's, 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 it's from it Feels Streak. It's not in this movie, but it's a different song. Right. And I cried driving because it just like overwhelmed me. I was like, oh, my God. But this movie, if I watch any scenes, it makes me cry. It's incredible. It's like I'm, right now I'm like on the verge of tears. Whoa, now, up. Dave. She says you wouldn't cry on the podcast. It's just this movie is so amazing in every single way. It's so poignant. It's so moving. All the characters are amazing. Uh, Theo is an allegory for a saint, which I'll get into in a little bit. And so many ways, this movie's a perfect movie to me. It's a ten out of ten, five out of five stars. It's my favorite movie of all time, and it gets me emotional just thinking about it. And Clive Owen's Theo is so well done. This is like this is his like definitive role. It is. It is the role of roles. He was cast in April two thousand five. He spent several weeks collaborating with Quaron and Sexton on his role. Impressed by Owen's creative insights, Quaron and Sexton brought him on board as a writer. Quaron said. Quote, excuse me, Clive was a big help. I would send a group of scenes to him and I, and I would hear his feedback and instincts, which I'm sure adds to so much of it. And then obviously, I mean, Key is just such a brilliant character. I'm not Played I think so this is well. One of her only movies. She did not appear in the book. Let me look at her Wikipedia page I can, real quick. I can tell you the difference between the book and the movie if you'd like. I read a bit into it just because I want to I see. So yeah, she, after this, was in a film called Exodus, two films that do not have Wikipedia pages. All is by my side, The White King and IT, or It, and that's pretty much it. She's also was recently in an episode of Doctor Who and in a few TV shows, including Riviera and Death in Paradise, but you are correct, Davis, um, her main role here. I mean, I've read into the differences. I, it's I been, it's Go ahead. I've, yeah. I've read the book. Yeah, go ahead. I actually have the book. It's pretty good. I, I, I wrote a review on Letterboxd, so you read it. I said, it, it's a good novel already. Like I'd recommend this novel just as it is. But the movie so far surpasses anything P.D. James could have imagined. And P.D. James actually really likes the movie. Yeah. He was very pleased with it. 
but from oh i'll get i'll tell you the differences I, I was about to go into like a tangent of what i liked real quick but uh so key's not in the novel and the novel doesn't really handle fugies at all which is the fugitives of course right or, like, just refugees is what i meant not fugitives refugees this this movie really handles immigration which was a big hot button issue now but it was also in 2005 yeah it's gonna be a hot button issue for ever ever, probably but um so in the book uh do you want do you want want me i can save this for later i can just do it now i can go like the big differences i mean i think i think we can get it out of the way now because i don't know where it fits later so theo um he he works at oxford in the book and he's a professor and julian uh who's played by julian moore uh comes up to him she's a former student and they never had like any they weren't married like they were in the book Which i love the, the dynamic I, I love the dynamic in the movie so in the book she comes up to him and asks him to talk to nigel who is uh in the movie it's his cousin that he goes to see to get the transit papers but in the book he's like the leader of right the entire um uk i guess england whatever it is at that point um, they did call it Britain one time, but Britain, it could, it could, yeah, it could it be is. called any, any number but of But he's things. like the leader, and he's kind of like, he's a, basically a dictator, but he's still, they're, they're cousins, and they're really close grown up. So we went and talked to him about, um, they had demands, because there's a lot like, like there's the assisted suicide, and Cleo goes and watches one, and he's so appalled by it. He's like, I'm not supporting him anymore. I'm going to help the five fishes. And in the, it's Julian, um, there's, there's, there's Miriam, but Miriam is a mix of Miriam and another priest. There's a uh, um, she would tell Asia Force character is it Rory, yeah. and then there's no Luke. he's he's Luke. Well, in the book he's called like Rory, I think. Okay. And then there's one more guy, so there's five of them. But the big things are there's no key, uh, and Rory rats them out, and Julian's the one that's pregnant. Right. And actually, Theo and Julian end up falling in love, and. Huh. Miriam gets killed, and in the book, men are the ones that are unable right. to have children. So Nigel's going to try to take the baby and claim it as his so he can be, like, godlike. Oh, dear. But Theo kills him, and he becomes the leader. That's interesting. I obviously haven't read the book, and I don't want to. I don't want to besmirch P.D. James' work without obviously reading it. But based on how that's described, I think I like this movie. No, better. the movie's so far leagues. It's in. It's like they obviously are the same source material, but one is so much better. It is insane. Like people always like books always better than movie. This is yeah. The movie so far laps this book over. The book's good. Like I enjoyed the book. It has great moments. The story's good. Theo's really interesting. But the movie's just so much better. I would say that Quaron takes. I'd say James came up with a brilliant concept. And I think Quaron and everybody else involved took it a step further, and were able to do that. Like for example, with Key's character, she did not appear in the book and was written in the film based on Quaron's interest in the recent single origin hypothesis of human origins and the status of dispossessed people. This quote is a very interesting one. The fact that this child will be the child of an African woman mm-hmm. has to do with the fact that humanity started in Africa. Yeah. We're putting the future of humanity in the hands of the dispossessed and creating a new humanity to spring out of that. And then for Julianne Moore's character, Quaron wanted an actress who had credibility of leadership, intelligence, independence. Moore was cast in June of 2005, initially to play the first woman to become pregnant in 20 years. Mm-hmm. She's just so much fun to work with, Quaron told Cinematical. She's just pulling the rug out from under your feet all the time. You don't know where to stand because she's going to make fun of you. That's interesting. And then 
arguably the scene stealer of scene stealers, Michael Caine's portrayal of Jasper is just... So he's playing him as John Lennon. Yes, I see that. Um, based his experience of his actual friend, John Lennon, the first time he'd portrayed a character who would pass wind or smoke cannabis, Caron explains, quote, once he had the clothes and so on and stepped in front of the mirror to look at himself, his body language started changing. Michael loved it. He believed he was this guy. Michael Phillips of the Chicago Tribune notices an apparent homage to Schwartz in Orson Welles' film noir, Touch of Evil. Jasper calls Theo amigo, just as Schwartz referred to Ramon Miguel Vargas. Jasper's cartoon scene in his house were provided by Steve Bell. This entire cast is so, so, there's so not, there's, good. There's nobody that's bad in it. It's actually a fun fact. Absolutely. Uh, Second movie in 2006 that Chiwetel Ejiofor and Clive Owen starred in together. Can the, you guess the other one? Oh, no, not at all. Stretched by Spike Lee. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. Um, um, Phenomenal uh, movie with Denzel a... Washington and Jodie Foster as well. It's a heist movie, Inside Man. Really? Phenomenal wow, movie. Wow, never seen it. Never I seen love it. Inside Man's one of my favorite. Heist. It's so good. Interesting. That's Spike very Lee, interesting. Denzel's awesome in it. Clive Owen's really good at oh, It's just so good. I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to check that one you out. You should. After the list. I, I mean, that sounds that sounds that sounds like a great cast it's, from top to bottom. It's which of probably is... like top five Spike Lee for me. Whoa, very high praise though. It might yeah. be top three, it's honestly. Got, it's got real. It's I'm got trying... real strong reviews across the board. Malcolm X do the right thing. What other Spike Lee ones do I like? Black Klansman. I like Inside Man more than Black Klansman. Oh, he got games really good. I don't know. We we should have a Spike Lee episode. Hey man, hey man. We we could we could do so so many at so many different times. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just think. This film is ugh. perfect. You know, I think it's perfect. Per- look, it's perfect as it's close to as perfect as perfect can be. There is literally, I only have two notes in this movie of any negativity. We're gonna get them out of the way right now. So number one, this is nitpicky. Um, when we get when we see Jasper's house and we see the cut through of all the newsreels, so clearly his wife was a photojournalist covering all this and went into a catatonic state, probably because she due was tortured to- by the government. What she was tortured by the government is why. I missed that. That's why she's because one of the news clippings says like, uh, photojournalist left in coma, government suspected. She was tortured. Oh my god, this movie's a six out of ten or six out of five. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Six sorry. out of ten. Sorry, you're done. Uh, no, no, eleven out of ten. Um, so my only notes are when they're doing that. There's this really, really, really bad photo of young Jasper that, like, I that's nitpicky. It, no, I, 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 I literally said I was being nitpicky. I'm, acknowledg- nitpicky. I'm acknowledging it. I'm just pointing it out because I wanted to bring it up. Mm. And when, which, by the way, um, yeah. So if, if you read my review on Letterbox, Davis, I talk about the yeah. fact that it pretty much does everything. It has the greatest action sequence ever, and then the greatest action sequence again mm-hmm. ever, and then the greatest one again ever. Another issue is, um. Julian's death is a little odd because, like, since you're expecting it, there's like a break where like everybody's like get down, and there's like a it goes like a second long where she just sits there waiting for them to fire the gun. She can't go anywhere. I mean, no, but like she could move around or duck or something. She doesn't move. That I, I was like, that's a little weird. Mm. It, again, maybe this is one second and one I mean, second I, again. I'll let you. I'll concede that one. Out of I don't, an hour I and forty nine like minute movie, I'd never felt an issue with that. But that scene, very innovative camera work. In one there. shot, right? Yeah, and it is one. It is, one is a, it is a oneer, but if you watch that scene again, just think about how did they get the camera? How did they move the camera like that? And then immediately once they stop, they it gets out of the car too. 
just utterly insane. It's, it's a crazy. You can like see the behind scenes. It's crazy. This is. It's so beautifully shot. One of my your favorite scene, Davis, was the. I believe you said it's the scene where he goes to the tree and just goes. That's through not my every favorite emotion. scene. I mean, like I said in my review, there's probably five different scenes in this movie where I could be like, "That's the best scene in any movie ever." All right, so like, what okay. what are those five? Then go through for the, the opening. Op- oh wait, okay, sorry. Okay, okay, one second. I was gonna say my favorite part about, but I wanted to get this thought out before I forgot. People go. First of all, love that the Universal logo has no music. Mm-hmm. Thumbs up. Always Universal love people to do that. Presents. Exactly, love it. Number two, people are like, mm, newsreel's cliche. Mm, nope. Day 1000 no, of the Siege of Seattle slaps. That is a great line. Immediately followed by the Homeland Security Bill has been ratified. After eight years, British borders will remain closed. The deport- deportation of illegal immigrants will continue. Newsreels are awesome. You need it. And if they're done well, they're awesome. Like World War Z, I kind of, I think the newsreels in World War Z were good. Yeah. I mean, if you do it right, you do it right. And yeah. I think I think th- this does it even better because, one, you don't see them. And then they go, go right to Diego and all of that. And you've got that incredibly necessary exposition. You've got the, the random commercials on the bus talking about, they're my nurse. Or so oh, crazy. If, this movie, if you just watch anywhere in the background, there's there's so much great like graffiti. Details. And there's details, just man. people sitting around. It's It's awesome. It's one of the most incredible viewing experiences I've had the privilege of just witnessing with my eyes but I'd, man. I can I can name scenes off the top of my head that I think yeah. just go with the five. some of the best ever opening scene where he goes to the coffee shop he goes back out he's pouring the whiskey to his coffee and and a and a bomb goes off and then then you it's the cam I love you know I, I immediately go shaky cam's bad but like running with no, the cam no. to see the lady holding her arm is like no shaky who cam thinks of this? When, when you do shaky cam right it's amazing it's and this transcendent is one of the like just uh. the reaction to like you, it's so unexpected. Your ears are ringing with Clive Owen, with yep. with Theo. Rather. The cells in your ear are dying. You'll never hear That's it again. Crazy. Uh, there's that one. Um, I'd say the one in the car, uh, and yes. then the immediate aftermath where he leans up against the tree and he cries. Yeah, which is the only time he really shows any emotion in the movie. And the only time, and if you'll notice, he never actually gets to smoke a cigarette or drink his whiskey. In the whole movie. Oh yeah, it always has to stop. He always has to stop. Wait, no, he drink. He drinks. He drinks. Well, he okay. He never gets to smoke then. Okay, yeah, no, he does. He, that's right though. He does drink though, because then he ends up giving away cigarettes anyway. Yeah, but he he does, he does drink. That that I did notice it was that was supposed to be reoccurring at least in part. Keep going though with your scenes. Uh, so that's two. The third one, I'm gonna save my favorite favorite one for last. That's but uh, when they're rowing to find the human project and they're just on the boat and it cuts to the wide shot of him just after he goes like I'm tired and he smiles after she says she's naming it Dylan. And he like slumps over, and oh my, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm tearing up thinking about it. But uh, that scene's another one. Um, but by far and away the best scene in this movie, and I, I would wager to say the best movie scene ever made, is the one when they, when the baby's born and they're walking down the stairs of the apartment complex. It's and the everybody most just stops like un- cease fire, and they walk down and everybody's just in awe. They haven't seen a baby in 20 years. They want every everyone wants to see it. Everyone wants to try to touch it. And there is one cut in there that I did notice because there's they deliberately put the blood on this on the camera lens and keep it with you, but then it goes away, which I'm fine with it. You got to cut somewhere, mm-hmm. but it's spell. I, I I remember I was watching. I kept going back like there was a cut there, right? I was like, oh no. Nope. There's one when they exit the building, but going down the stairs is mostly one. Well, no. Oh yeah, yeah. When no. they exit the building, it cuts to a. Different shot from in fr- front of them. I think you talking about when when the, when they're... no, it doesn't actually. No, no. Okay, so look, Davis. So the here, here's how I'll, I'll structure it in my, in my in my in my mind's eye. So when Sid comes in 
and then it cuts to them going down the stairs. That's when it continues to be a one-shot all the way through, all the way through, all the way through. Clive Owen runs into the building. You, you get a cut there because the blood is away from the screen. It runs and keeps going, keeps going. And then the moment people realize there's a baby, it keeps cutting. Mm-hmm. But that's because you need to show all these people's faces and you need to get all this extra in there. That's fine. But then, again, it keeps going. When they leave the building, then it becomes a one-shot again and follows them and out. everybody likes doing their different forms of religion they're they're being venerable they're like kneeling they're doing signs of the cross they're all they're all leaning over and looking nobody cares about fighting anymore so i loved one of my favorite details and sudden problem this might not be correct but i loved how this film examines what does happen when there's no future literally not like the world's going to end in 20 years as in there's literally nothing to build towards it's the most it's the most it's the silent death cuz people are people are like oh well, I don't really want children or whatever but you don't realize what happens when your choice is taken away mm-hmm. when you when your option is and i was going to say that one, one of my favorite oh shoot i forgot what's oh it's when julian has died mm-hmm. and Miriam is praying over her and she invokes the names of so many different things and it it felt like an amalgamation of religion which is what would happen in a situation like she mentions saints people that have left the world um she says some other words that I don't even know and I love that sort of that combination but keep going with your favorite scenes that is my favorite scene and there's probably there's certainly more like there's men said I'm gonna save my favorite for the end that was it not I mean like that of the ones I was listing is what I okay yeah that was that's the best scene in the movie, I think. Certainly in the running for best scene of all time, if you want to use superlatives there. But Hard there's so many more scenes in this movie, and every character is so memorable. When when Jasper dies, and then he has to act, he has to save face, and Miriam's like, sorry, he's like, he's like, don't touch me, get yeah. in the car. And then he's, he's like, like what's what the point of this? Yeah, she's like, there's always a point for somebody's like, get in the car. And then immediately after that, what does this movie do in their infinite wisdom? They're like, Miriam needs a character development scene. And we go to that school, that empty school. And I'm not kidding. This is probably my favorite line of dialogue I've ever heard in my entire life. Other than another one that I'll talk about a bit later. Miriam's talking. She says, as the sounds of the playgrounds faded, the despair set in. Very odd. What happens in the world without children's voices? I was there at the end. And then Theo says, and now you'll be there at the beginning. I almost fell out of my chair and... Went into a catatonic state myself. I was like, this is it. This is the greatest movie of all time, and there's no equal. There is nothing to be said. Voila, everybody. It, wh- what, am I mo- spo- what am I supposed to do? Very moving to me. Oh, it my me, God. Makes me emotional, man. Oh, my Lord. Like, this movie is breakneck. Jasper just died, and they're like, no, we're going to give Miriam one of the best scenes ever put to film, and that's exactly what it is. And in and, and that scene, when it cuts to, like, the window, if you'll yeah. notice, it's a broken window, and then... And the centered in that broken piece of pain is key. Exactly. I mean, it's just oh my god. Yeah, I bet you could so, read it as like the hope within the despair of a bro- like the broken windows. Of the de- yeah, it's the whole thing. So it's so good. I also again love later on with Luke and um, like wait wait wait. Okay, so Luke and then later and he's like we need him and he's like it's a girl, Luke. Oh my god. He's like I had a sister. This is why you invest all your money in putting Chiwetel Ejiofor and, and Clive and Owen in like, a movie. Right when he says that, he's like, he kind of realizes he's wrong. He's just like defeated. He's like, wow. But he still doesn't give up because he still is so de- he's so determined. Yeah. And I love how the moment Chiwetel Ejiofor is phenomenal in this. He's so good in everything. He's so he's, he's most underrated actor. Very well could be. Could be. Very well could be. But he's in Twelve Years. Of Sl- did he get an Oscar for Twelve Years a Slave? I don't think he did. If he didn't, we may have to. I don't start, think. I don't think he protest. did. No. We may have to start a protest. No, I'm telling you, he did not get Best Actor. Well, I think it was because he lost to somebody 
that was really good that year. I'm looking it up right now, Davis. Don't don't you worry. Don't you worry. I got to handle it. You keep talking about this movie because I know you love it so dang much. Davis? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, um, there's very there's a theme that uh, there's obviously a lot of movies. Um, uh, like the savior characters are like Christ-like figures, but instead of having Theo be a Christ-like figure, they make him like a saint. Yeah, which I, got, I got a guardian. Key, yeah, Key is the savior here. They don't actually. They do make her kind of like a Mary figure until she, even though she jokes about that, which is pretty yeah, funny. yeah, like when she's standing in the cows and she's covering herself. That's kind of like a like a maternal Mary pose. But you you want to say something? I was gonna. I, I, that just made me think that of would make the, the baby the savior. The, the, actually, the, the uh, La Pieta um, yeah. reference that happens a little bit later. Oh, yes. I can talk about that in a bit. But I, I was looking up the actress. Have you want me to go through who um, won? At the Oscars that year, yeah, if you sure. like. So, it, you know, it's tough. It was Chiwetel Ejiofor. He was nominated alongside Leonardo DiCaprio at The Wolf of Wall Street, Bruce Dern in Nebraska, Christian Bale in American Hustle, but they all lost out to Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club. Mm. I mean, that's tough, man. Yeah, so that's, that, a, that, tough that's a good. That's a good year. Yeah, that's three really strong performances that year alone. Let alone I haven't even seen Nebraska or American Hustle, so I cannot speak on Christian Bale and. Um and Bruce Dern's performance, but hey, Lupita Nyong'o got Best Supporting Actress. They did that right at least. Yes, yeah. and Twelve Years Slave did win Best Picture, so it wasn't oh, like yeah. it was getting shunned in, 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 in a sense. I think, and also Alfonso Cuarón happened to win um, Best Director that year for Gravity. Good. So it it all, it all comes full circle. But I agree with that. I also think um like it's just the way Theo is that kind of guardian type figure. But do you, did you notice what made him like the saint? Like what 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 themes throughout the movie? Not necessarily, if you could expand upon that, of course. So one, if you in a lot of depictions of saints, they're often not wearing shoes. Yes. And Theo cannot find shoes in this movie until near the end. And he keeps selling that leg injury the whole way in that one shot. What a detail. Yeah. And uh, also a lot of saints, especially like St. Francis of Assisi, or just saints in general, they're shown to be well-loved by animals. And throughout the movie, animals are always loving up or climbing on uh, Theo, or I'm pretty sure there's a dog in most shots of the movie in general, something, a trivia I read. But I believe yeah. that. So that's those are like the main two, but he also doesn't pick up a gun. He doesn't really move to violence unless it's necessary to protect Key. He does hit Sid with the car battery. And then he looks so surprised and shocked afterwards. Yeah, but other than that, I can't, I, n- none are coming to my head where he's outwardly violent. He's just running. He's just trying to find, he's trying to find He's protecting them. her. Yeah. He's, he's a saint. Absolutely. Incredible. I and love it. And that's just such a, like a, such a subtle touch that you might not notice that goes with the religious themes in it that it's just oh, so good. Absolutely. And I'm trying to find my favorite shot here if I can look for it. Um, let me see. The world buildings that walk the streets was always really oh cool. God, so like cool. even even Sid is such a such a memorable character. Even as a villain, he's like fascist pig. Say it again. <laughs> I love that actor, by the way. I love his voice. I just always have. He's also he's cool. um, in Harry Potter. Um, for those who remember Deathly Hallows Part One, he got a, he got a nice nice spot there. Um, I like I like that. Like he's just so memorable for his his brief moment where he's like referring to himself as third person mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Like, Sid doesn't know why you want to get a weird there. guy. Sid doesn't Sid doesn't care. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple things. Yeah. Um, number one, there's a lot of deliberate shots of dead livestock around. Mm-hmm. Um. The area I couldn't figure out the connective tissue there. Was it just about the fact that the world was failing? Regardless, yeah, the world's failing. Uh, there's no like you know how if you think of spring as like like in seasons of the year, springs like you know new life, things are being born. But in this world, there's no 
there's hardly any new life and it's there's plagues going around there's no hope for humanity you have to burn livestock yeah so was that was the burning of it because like there was just too much i i it i i think it might have been a sickness or something or something okay interesting. it could have been too much uh they had something. And like all the pollution is a nice. There's like smog everywhere. Yeah, because they they don't care. Like the thing is in in the book as well. Like Nigel's platform to stay in power, even though they don't really do votes anymore. Yeah, is that nobody like, cares. He'll make your life comfortable in the last time. He'll give you pleasure, and you don't have to worry. Too right, much. because there's no need to regulate anything because yeah, the world gonna, is ending. Yeah. So like in this, in, it's kind of showing that in this, like you, the Britain's one of the last places still standing. Yeah, exactly. Like they talk about something that happened in New York that we don't really know about. I love the arts thing and the the half broken David and the is like, why do you still do this? They Nobody's did that. Gonna... They did that in post. That's CG. Really? That's yeah. cool. I like it. And and Clive Owen sells it like it's right there. And you also see in the background of that scene when they're looking out the window over like the polluted area the and it has pig. the floating pig. That's a Pink Floyd reference. Really? To their album. I don't know the name of it, but it's it's you just look up. Pink Floyd, and you'll see it. It all comes full circle, doesn't it? And I like, I like how he's like, "How? What are you doing? Saving all this stuff that nobody's going to be around to see?" And he's like, "Honestly, I don't think about it." Mm. He just keeps on going, man. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. I really just fundamentally love the, all the dynamics that change. One thing I did read about in the books is that um, since there are no children, um, young pets have become treated like children. Yes, that's yes. that that that's probably a bit too cartoonish for this film, but. I think it's pretty. It's a realistic depiction because people do that now. Oh, whoa! David Davis coming out with Baby the Yoda. Yeah, people like Baby treat, Yoda. But uh, yeah, in the book they talk about like they get like little puppies and they treat them like babies, and it kind of like Theo's characters obviously looks down on them, and he like kind of makes fun of them, but he also yeah. talks about people with baby dolls and stuff, like. Obviously weird, but in the situation, like well, you gotta, I mean, yeah. it's something to cope that, with. That's I, I he think, realizes that in the book, like it's something to cope with, but he's still like it's kind of weird. This film challenges you on that because it's like, what would you do when you realize there is literally nothing? Yeah, there's no like you don't have twenty more years, and then the world's just gonna spontaneously end. There's just no you will just be the last of your kind as you all die out. My favorite scene though, Davis, in this movie, along with the scene at the tree, is actually the scene when they're at when they are at Jasper's and. Um, Theo is outside the living room sitting up against the wall drinking as Jasper recounts the story of Theo and Julian. Mm-hmm. One, because it's a beautiful oh, piece of exposition, but then the camera slowly, so ever slightly, pushes in on Theo to just crush him under the weight of this line, which is Theo's faith lost out to chance, which mm-hmm. is just so flipping <laughs> good. This is my favorite movie of all time. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. There's not, there's I'm gonna, not I really, think I'm going to watch it when I go home. I mean, I might watch it again, too, man. I might see if there's like a director's cut or something on the DVD I got. Bro, if Quar- that's why I said if it, this movie could be three hours longer and I'd watch every second. I don't care. I don't care. There's, the world's so interesting with the with the refugees and stuff. Yeah, why don't we talk about that, too, for a moment, if, if you want. Yeah, so this was made in 2005. As we said earlier, refu- uh, um, immigration has been an issue for as long as borders have been around of course right uh and recently in like 2015 especially after trump did like the muslim ban people started talking about this movie again but quran said uh it was topical in 2005 as well and that's that might be a reason why it didn't do as well it's haunting how similar this is to the modern day like i mean even even haunting how similar it's going to keep being yeah and might be even more similar at the rate Hate to get to political guys, but at the rate that America's going right now, no, there ain't no, ain't no problem. That's what this movie is, man. That's what this. I mean, that's. What I this think. I, I, I really think Children of Men's going to only get more and more topical, from the refugee standpoint, at least. 
how how they're treated immigration wise if we keep going on the trajectory we are as a country. I don't agree. There is a line in this movie. Um, the expedition through the television is so great. The world has collapsed. Only Britain's soldiers. That's on. a that's a that's a cool moment. They are illegal immigrants to hire, feed, or shelter illegal immigrants is a crime. It's your life. It's your choice. Crazy propaganda. The yeah. And then like the opulence behind the government walls, like the camels and yeah zebras and, and stuff. And any like any there's all the all the like the the ads and stuff or has like the eye it's like get get your fertility test and all that stuff just like things like that or like the quietus which, which is, is the, crazy which is the, the in in the in the in the movie it's like a suicide pill much more like serene and stuff but in the book they take you out on a boat and like club you over the head and they like push you into the water or something like that. Or no, they shoot you, I think. And but then one crazy. of the people like kind of snapped out of it and trying to run and they beat her over the head. Dang. With like a club. And then that Theo was like, I, I can't support this anymore. Because he didn't know. He'd never actually seen it. Right. Like yeah. they just go to like a remote village and they just kind of like do it off a port. That's crazy. And I, I, I love, um, again, if we want to talk about even about, I, I just think it is like, it's very haunting how similar. Like it's like, hmm, this seems, this isn't so dystopian, is it? Well, it, and also I, I saw another thing when Miriam distracts the guard from taking key. Uh, there's a song that plays in the background named "Are It Mocked Free." Oh yeah, which yeah, is yeah, obviously yeah. from concentration camps. Work makes you free. That's yeah. the name of the song that plays in the background, and obviously Miriam gets. There's there's obviously a lot of like shots of themes of genocide and people in cages, uh, concentration camps, and stuff. And it's it's very haunting, and I mean, the, and, and it's because in the and Britain in the movie thinks they're so prosper prosperous and they're so great since they're still going about, but like. Really? Just because they don't have a thousand day siege of Seattle. Yeah, are you? Exactly. And I think even more so the fact that like that is like when they get to Bex Hill and they immediately just see people holding photos saying, hey, have you seen my person? Because they probably got took back there, which means they're probably mm-hmm. dead. Also, we're talking about the ending, obviously. It's so. I, it's very ambiguous. He freaks out and thinks she's bleeding and he's like, no, oh, they got me. me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let me tear up. I'm going to uh, name it Dylan. Oh, my goodness. And also. Uh, there's a quote from Alfonso Cuaron that said, like, he wanted a movie that didn't end with the credits, but instead it began with the credits. Or, like, Ooh. the ending is the beginning because you hear, it's ambiguous, you hear, like, the children laughing. So you maybe it worked. It's up to you. It depends on what your view of the world well, is. Well, what do you think? I think that they, I think that it worked. They got them. They got, they got kids back. I'd like to think. I'd like to think so. Yeah, that like that ties that into Miriam's quote yeah. about when the sound of children left. I'd li- yeah, I'd like to think that uh, his sacrifice wasn't for nothing. I would agree. So, of course, though, there's a lot of arguments to be made throughout the film about the fact that the world was already going to, you know, to to baloney at the time anyway, and it was only going to get worse. Hey, by the way, I forgot to mention this, but I um, hope you guys have enjoyed playing along with our little bingo card. Josie had sent it over to me, and I'm going to give it out so you all can play along with it while you listen to this episode. I hope you guys have found some things here and there or anywhere that uh, qualify for that. If you win, you get a crisp high five from all of us. I just forgot to mention that until right now, but I love that ending. I think they made it. I think it worked out. What else do you want to say about the movie that is, in I think my I've, opinion? I've, I think this is the most thoroughly I've ever talked about a movie on this podcast. I'm not sure what else I can say. It's the greatest movie. I'm not, I'm, it's I, my I, favorite I, movie. I, it's legitimately my favorite movie of all time. I just like to take polls on things and like you know see see what see what the vibes are on it. I mean, it's as good of a movie as there's ever been. It's like I said, it's as emotional. It's as visually striking. It's an action movie for God's sake. I really think. Like and that's unfortunate because you know it did get nominated for three Oscars and it lost all of them actually. So 
It was nominated at the 79th Academy Awards for Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. It lost screenplay and editing to The Departed okay. and lost cinematography to Pan's Labyrinth. Mm, maybe. But this movie should have got a Best Picture nomination. Oh, the fact that it's yes. an action movie and dystopian is probably the only thing holding it back, but um, maybe recognize when... I don't even think it's an action movie, honestly. I mean, I don't, but... I think it's like a... Not a political thriller... I don't know what you call it. It's just the best movie ever made. I so, I, I agree with drama. that sentiment, but um, you forget that the Oscars are I know, stupid. I know. So uh, it's 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 difficult out there. For example, the 79th Academy Awards, your Best Picture nomination nominations and winner that year. Best Picture was The Departed. Other nominations include Babel, Letters from Iwo Jima, mm-hmm. Little Miss Sunshine, and The Queen. Also, Alfonso Cuarón did not get nominated for Best Director. It was Martin Scorsese, Alex, Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu, oh, Clint Eastwood, Stephen mm-hmm. Frears, and Paul Greengrass for United 93. Mm-hmm. Again, I haven't seen any of those movies, so I'm not going to pretend to have an opinion because Davis might lurch across the table and kill me right here on what the podcast. What was Inaritu's movie? Um, Inaritu's movie was Babel, which I've never seen. I've seen some of it. It's pretty good. But then I, I was like, I'm kind of bored of this. I turned it off. Oh, you didn't get bored of Children of Men, though, did you? No, because it's the best movie ever made. Exactly. And Babel is, oh, how long is it? It's like it's an hour say? 40, I think. I, oh, it's, oh, man, it's two hours and 23 minutes. Oh, really? Wow. Woo. I just Maybe that's off. why you got I, bored. Yeah, I watched, the, I, watched the, I, watched the, I watched the theatrical cut. Oh, I my God, the studio minutes. cut it to pieces. And like, wait, is that Orlando Bloom? No, it's not. Um, Don't worry about it. But why don't I, we go I, ahead? i got to try the movie again. But, yeah, I give it a 10 out of 10. I think it's it's my favorite movie of all time. I, I reworked my my letterbox to represent that. If I could give it higher than a ten, I would. You know, there's a there side plot. There's a wrestling journalist who rates matches five stars out of five stars. Now he just starts giving people six stars out of five. Okay, 11, 11 out of ten. A, a Thirteen out of ten. Twelve out of ten. Well, Davis, this reached the time where we're in, we're in the home stretch here now. Uh, as as, as we it were. Yeah, yeah, basically. Twelve minutes left. So, what else have we been watching lately? Succession. Succession. A lot of succession. I, I got Jedi, the Jedi game. I haven't played it much. You haven't played it yet? I played a little bit of it, but I haven't had time because uh, exams and stuff. It's been crazy, man. We had a lot of things. We had to move our times around. I'll tell you what I did watch yesterday. Um, Davis, you don't know this, but or maybe you do know this. We moved the podcast from yesterday because I had to. And go- you did RSVP to it. Braden. I know you're listening to this at this time. <laughs> I would like you to know that. Nah, I don't have any, I don't have anything. Sorry, man. I will not dignify that betrayal with a response. How about that? I think you. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff I've told you that's made it to her. So okay. First of all, I don't know. What Let's you're keep it calm, Buster. I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Wow. Okay. 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 Um. No. But yeah. So um. I just forgot to. But I got my medal. You want to see the medal? Mm. I don't want to see the metal. It is. It, I know what they look like. It is an audio, audio um, yeah. medium, so it's probably not. Oh, he's holding it up right now. It's really cool. Yes, I am. Woo! <laughs> yeah, it's a cool metal, man. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't been watching or reading anything else just because I'm really excited for. Okay, so I am really excited because this book series I read called the Red Rising trilogy, which is very dystopian. I don't know if you'd like it. I don't know if it's it's. It, Maybe you would. Maybe I'll maybe I'll try it and again, try and try and convince you to read it. But it was originally a trilogy, and then the author made a second trilogy, and he made a fourth book and a fifth book, and then the sixth book he was like, "All right, I'm writing it, guys." And then he's like, "Hey guys, newsflash! I wrote 250 pages, wasn't satisfied, so I burned it." <laughs> and then he's like, "All right, I'm writing the sixth book." And he's like, mm, "The sixth book is getting too long. I'm going to split it into two books." So now. There's a sixth and seventh book. And Davis, I got to tell you, I'm really glad he split the, the books in half because the sixth book is going to be 655 pages. 
So God. God help me if it was just one book with the seventh book included. I'm so excited to read that. It's coming out um, later this summer. I'm really looking forward to reading that in a day and a half. Um, Crazy. The last, the last book of his that came out, I read when I stayed at your apartment. I read it in, I read it in 36 hours, and it was 600 pages. That's impressive. Hey man, I was I, I was up like I was like passing out like as I was reading. I can, so have you ever tried to read a book while you're falling asleep? Yeah. Because I'll just I'll just read the same line, fall asleep, read the same line again, yeah. fall asleep, wake up, read the same line again. But I'm really excited to read that this summer. That's I'm looking forward to that. I like reading books, man. I do too. I, I have so many books, and summer's the best time to read them. That's the, when I read Children of Men last summer. The problem is that just like during school with all the reading we have to do, there's just like not like well, guess what? We don't need more of that. Oh <laughs> my goodness, we're almost out of here, everybody. Woo! All right, well, any, was there any Ministry of Truth this week? Nah, it's fine. Hol- we're, we're, Hollywood's been chill lately. Uh, they're going to use AI. We already talked about it earlier. We got, we got nine minutes before we got to get out of here. So, so go in that case, to make me Davis. cry, man. No, I'm not going to do that, Davis. Do you have, do you have any have any words for the listeners, the the, lo- the loyal fans? Yeah. Yeah, 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 Like when we did the Fairhope football game and did like a, a extended goodbye for two yeah, quarters? Yeah, yeah, no, no. So, uh, oh, here we go. 80 episodes. Alex? Uh, <laughs> I don't need you to commentate it. <laughs> All right, turn off my mic. 80 episodes here we've been going, talking about movies, which we really love, and I've had a great time doing it with a guy I love, my one of my best friends, Alex. Known him for so long, and we keep knowing, for him, knowing him for a long time. And I'm not going to forget the time we had here talking about these movies. I'm not going to forget all the people that listened, supported us, came on the show, gave comments about movies they liked, uh, any conversations we had about movies because of this podcast. I'm never going to forget them. Um, thank you all. I love you too, Davis. Thank you, Alex. Oh my goodness, emotional. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, that sums that sums it up pretty well, I think. I mean, you know this this has been the culmination of eight years of on the air broadcasting, Davis. Mm-hmm. All the way back, your mom will remember that. My mom will remember. Um, certain loyal listeners, the great Jack Martin, known as Wonderleg, will remember our start on Mac T Live. Shout out to Coach Dawkins. Shout out to her for starting that class and. Giving us all that experience that led us to hear. We weren't even starting as a movie podcast. We just, you know, did a sports show and then talked about movies in between. We were like, wait a minute. No. There seems to be a comment thread I, here. I was just like, I don't really talk, want to talk about sports anymore. Uh, like, I, I we, we, were, we were in the dark timeline of sports, but it was, it was, it was not, not a fun experience for, oh, Auburn sucks. Yeah. Yeah. That's all, that's all it ever was. You go, like, what do you think, Auburn football? I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> But seriously, it's been the culmination of eight years of broadcasting stuff, and it's been a lot of fun. I had a whole pre-rehearsed goodbye. I don't really know if I want to say anything else beforehand. But yeah, I mean, it's been a lot of fun. 80 episodes. 80 episodes about some of the wildest and wackiest movies. It's always fun when I go, yeah, we did an Inception episode. Oh, yeah, cool. What other episodes did you do? Well, you know, we did a Scooby-Doo animated episode. Oh, that was a good episode. One could not say we do not have a diverse taste in film on this podcast, man. We talk about anything. You know, to anybody who... Who helped us pick out episodes of movies we or episodes on movies we thank you for anybody who listened to an episode and said I'm gonna watch that because of us that's awesome because I watched some great foreign language films courtesy of Davis and Davis just now watched Kingdom of Heaven Boom. so it all works out in the end I'll never forget Pain and Glory man oh dude I dude. watched that recently it's- I've been trying to tell I'm like do you like do you like foreign films Pain and Glory is the movie of movies that's another movie that's Darn near perfect. I think I gave it. A, I gave it a perfect. Five I gave out it. Of five. I gave it a five out of five. If I didn't give it a five out of five, I'm gonna be very concerned for my well-being, mentally and emotionally. If I gave it a five out of five, let me look up real quick and see what my rating was. That, but I mean, there's so many fun movies that I never thought I'd watch that I have watched. So many movies that I'm gonna add to my list to watch because of this. Speaking of uh, 
Pedro Almodovar, who made Pain and Glory. I give it five to five. Thank God. Uh, Pedro Almodovar is making a movie with Pedro Pascal and Ethan Hawke where they're cowboys and they're exploring like men's uh, masculinity. Sign me up. I thought you might like to hear about that one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ethan Hawke, Pedro Pascal, book it. Million dollars. Give him a billion dollars. I don't care. Incredible. Okay. Love it. I might watch this movie called First Reform starring Ethan Hawke. I've heard about this. I've heard about this. Really um, good. I might watch that. I've heard about that movie before. People have cited it a lot. I've never seen it. But like I see a lot of Instagram posts about it. Because Ethan Hawke is great. Paul Schrader, who I should know who Paul Schrader is. No, I don't know who Paul Schrader is. Well, no, I don't know who Paul Schrader is. That's my mistake. Well, um, anything else you want to say before we... No, I think this is about it, guys. This is about it's it's been it's been a wild ride. We thank you for joining us on this good time, Davis. Obviously, it's been an incredible experience sharing this podcast, multiple shows, and I hope somehow we can continue in the future, even though you might be dead in a ditch. We'll see. Because these are moments I'll never forget. Truly, as my mom put it so eloquently, I am no longer nearly as stressed out and depressed because I have creative outlets like this. So <laughs> that, that that the shout out to Kim for that one. No, seriously, um, some of my best memories have been doing this show with you, Davis, and I'll never forget them. Anyway, I won't either, man. Of course. Well, your microphone's going off because okay, I gotta do, I gotta do it solo right now. So I've got a long one. Bear with me. We might run out of time, but this has been it. This has been the final episode of Through the Lens. I wrote this intro down so I would not forget anything. So here goes nothing. Thank you so much to everyone who ever tuned into our show over these last three years. Whether you found this show online randomly and don't even know me or Davis, or if you've been our friends who tuned in, in the past, or even watched us at MACT Live and continue to follow our journey here. Thank you to everyone who has ever been a guest on our show. Shout out to the originals, Jack Hart, Jacob Hillman, and Chris Tobias. And thanks to Anna Ryan, Sutton Sylvester, Braden Haynes, Ainsley Ayler's girlfriend of the show, Megan DeVoe, Sydney Babb, Demaya Scott, Emily Calagas, Josie Jalk, Finley Meyer, Logan Hurston, Adrian Rushing, Josh Wilbur, Maddie Powers, Grayson Moyer, Will Root, and anyone else that I'm forgetting at this time. It has been such a pleasure to have each and every one of you on the show, and we always appreciate the unique perspectives that you could provide. Guess I'm starting the music up again. The truth is, I don't really know if this is the end of the podcast or the end of my movie podcast endeavors entirely, so for now, I will say see you next time. But in case I do not see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.